All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twoodwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys, Trevor Twoodwell. What's good? Episode four, 146 in full swing, full motion. We're so happy to be here. If you notice, we are actually one man short this week. Uh, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo Eddie Ortiz is actually not here this week, and I'm going to get to that, I promise you, by the end of the show, guys, because we have a, a nice little sweet trip to hand out to Eddie uh, before we get done with the show tonight. But nevertheless, we want to thank you for anybody that's live streaming, Facebooking, or not Facebooking, but live streaming, YouTubing, or podcasting. We're on all platforms, so I guess I can name them all out. But regardless of how you're watching, how you're listening, we do appreciate you being here with us as we break down a little bit of football here in the Kansas City region and across the entire landscape, I think, because this is the time of year especially where things really starting to tighten up, shaping up, and we figure out what these teams are really all about and what they're really not all about. And, man, we have a jam-packed, not only show, but a week, because we, we have Raider week coming up. We just got done with Broncos week. And then we have Chargers week coming up in just a few days from, from Sunday. So, needless to say, the Chiefs got a lot going on, a lot on their plate. And who better to talk about what is on the plate of the Chiefs other than a former Chief himself? We have our guy, and we promise you this time it is for real. Our guy, former Chiefs tight end Jason Dunn, will be joining us. He's also the host of Chief Concerns as a weekly podcast that they do with Eric Warfield, and they do an incredible job over there. I absolutely love their content and what they have to say. Man, it's always it's always great to hear from former players, but especially guys that you know know what they're talking about. That is something that I think is is very uh, not rare, but it's something you need to value absolutely in this in this world because there's a lot of guys out there that are just trying to give you the hot takes to get clicks and you know advance their careers. Ryan Clark, but um, you know when we talk about Jason Dunn, I think that he's gonna he's gonna give us a nice little perspective, not just from the football side of things, but how to handle games like this because the Chiefs, like I said, have a sandwiched amount of games that are divisional games for the Chiefs. I mean, the first seven, eight weeks, the Chiefs only had one playoff, one one, uh, one divisional game against the Chargers. Now they just have these, the, this this onslaught, and it's going to be what most would consider a very tough stretch for the Chiefs. But this team, if we know anything about them, and they are able to, uh, to fight through that, and they are very resilient. We saw the way they played against road teams last year. We saw the way they held their own at home, even though they didn't have that home crowd at Arrowhead like we know them to have. And in this season, we have... So much adversity, needless to say, to start this year. I think this team is finally on the uptick, and that's actually where I want to start. So we just got done watching the Chiefs this week play against the Denver Broncos, a team that I don't know for sure what they still really are. I know defensively they're very stout. I know Vic Fangio has that defense clicking on all cylinders, and for the most part this season have played very well on the defensive side. But on the offensive side, we know that the Broncos have had their druthers. Uh, going into that game last week, I think the Broncos are around 23rd in total offense. 
and we knew that they were going to probably struggle to score against this Chiefs defense because not only are they a very mediocre offense themselves, but the Chiefs defense, as we all know, has been the best defense in football over the last five or six weeks, averaging around 10 to 11 points per game they've been giving up. And it's not just the points that the Chiefs have been giving up that I want to focus on. It's also the fact that they've been able to get adequate pressure against quarterbacks. And it's amazing how much better a defense can and will be and how they will look when they can just get that little amount of pressure on a, on a defense uh, that we're not accustomed to seeing over the last you know couple of weeks to start the season. The first five weeks, the Chiefs couldn't get any pressure, and I think that there's something to it. You you know you got to give Spagnuolo a lot of credit for what he's been able to do. Melvin Ingram's addition has been so paramount to this defense and how they've played. But also when you get a healthy Frank Clark and Chris Jones back, I think that speaks volumes as to what they've done. Not to mention the fact that the Chiefs have had one of the best young secondaries in the league with Lord Jarius Sneed and Mr. Charvarius Ward, who's coming up on a contract himself. And and we're not even mentioning the fact that Tyron Matthew, the great Tyron Matthew, is having another all-pro season. And then our guy Dan, Dirty Dan Sorensen goes out there and saves his own ass and probably gets himself another year with the Chiefs after that big pick six. But I, I, I want to start with a few negatives. And I, and I hate to be that guy, but we got to keep it real here, man, when it comes to the Chiefs because the Chiefs just snoozed to a 13-point victory against the Broncos. So I'm not going to sit here and just overly critique the Chiefs like the national media has decided to do all week. But we have to address the things that are we're honest. And when it comes to the Chiefs' offense, they're still very much struggling. There's there's no there's no hiding that. There's no excusing that. It's, it's just the truth. The Chiefs' offense has some serious issues. I don't want to sit here and talk about the Broncos having offensive issues and then and pretend the Chiefs are just fine. No, there was a, a, an actual public display on Sunday Night Football, once again, that the Chiefs just seem to, to, to get in their own way when it comes to the offensive side of things. And what's upsetting about it is we're not even getting it correct when it comes to what we're analyzing. I'm seeing so many folks nationally, locally, podcasts alike, talking about Patrick Mahomes' struggles. What I saw in that Broncos game was not Patrick Mahomes struggling. Did he have a couple bad passes? Yes. But please show me a single game in any great quarterback's career where they didn't have a bad pass. That's going to happen. What's inexcusable is five drops from wide receivers. What's inexcusable is when you have fringe players like Byron Pringle, who people have just been chomping at the bit and clamoring, give him targets. He's so much better than this guy. He's so much better than D-Rob. He's so much better than McCole Hardman. And he goes out there and drops two of his first three passes two of his first three targets you have Tyreek Hill who I have said at times this season I think might be the best wide receiver in football could could very very well be considered the best weapon in football the best offensive weapon in football drop multiple passes and seven of Patrick Mahomes's 12 interceptions this season which by the way ties him for his career high for a single season seven of his 12 interceptions this season have come off tip passes and drop passes the Chiefs lead the entire NFL in drop passes with 30. That's inexcusable. If this team was still rebuilding or getting themselves in shape to, to hopefully contend within the next couple of seasons, like let's say like the Bengals, I wouldn't sit here and crush them for that. This is a team that is on the, on the verge of getting to their fourth consecutive AFC championship and their third consecutive Super Bowl appearance. And they're leading the league in drops with two all-pro receivers in Travis Kelsey and Patrick and, and Tyreek Hill. That can't happen. That simply cannot happen. And we sit here and try to figure out what is wrong with the offense? What what is the real like key cog to why they're inconsistent? It's drop passes. That has now been proven. 
For weeks at a time earlier in the year, we were talking about, what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes? Why can't he get on the same page with this guy? Why can't this take place correctly? We're so accustomed to seeing Patrick Mahomes because he set a bar so high. We need to get our focus off Patrick Mahomes for a minute. And I'm not sitting here trying to champion for Patrick Mahomes, but I'm watching these games with my eyes, and you know what I'm seeing? His wide receiver's letting him down. He did not have a great game statistically. Patrick Mahomes didn't. But five drop passes is going to make anyone's day look pretty bad at the office for a quarterback. You add five catches to Patrick Mahomes' day, he has about another 100 yards and probably a touchdown because there was a walk-in touchdown for Byron Pringle and Tyreek Hill if they catch those passes. It's amazing how much different things look. And this is the key aspect I want to bring up to this, Trevor, and then we can move on, Mm -hmm. is how important a team really is when it comes to team sports. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but think about it. We focus so much on individual players when it comes to team sports like Patrick Mahomes, like Tom Brady, like Aaron Rodgers, all these great quarterbacks. But if they don't have guys that they can rely on to catch the ball on a consistent basis, it really doesn't matter how great they are. They have to have guys that can and will catch the ball when he needs them to on key plays like that, especially down the stretch when the playoffs are starting to ramp up and we're starting to get to that place where the playoffs are starting to really look close, man. So what did were these drops – are drops the biggest concern for you? Because to me, I think it's pretty easy. That's what it is. No, it's no longer a fumble issue. The turnovers have really dropped significantly. But the, the, the drops are staying consistent and they're leading the league, and that's very concerning for me. Yeah, I mean, this offense has gone through a roller coaster of issues the latest issue is drop passes and it's the most frustrating too when you know that these guys are are, are elite these guys aren't that isn't who these guys are that isn't who Travis Kelsey is that isn't who's Tyre who Tyreek Hill is I mean Tyreek Hill has had some of the greatest hands we've seen we've seen him track down balls and get up and get balls deep balls too that are tough contested catches numerous times throughout his career and these are just wide open just straight up clunking right through his hands. I mean, Pat was putting – I mean, and it doesn't have to be the best pass. Some of the passes were maybe slightly behind him, maybe a little over – you know, a little over the top or a little behind him or a little, you know, underthrown. But they're still all catchable balls. Not every ball is going to be perfect, man. Um, sometimes the perfect thrown ball can throw a wide receiver off. Sometimes throwing away from certain defenders maybe a little – not the per- most perfect pass, but throwing away from the defender to help give the, the, the wide receiver the advantage to catch balls better too. So – this is just something that I think this is – I don't think this is a trend. This hasn't been happening all year. I know we lead the league in, in drop passes, but we are one of the league's top most pass-heavy offenses as well. So that's – do the math. I mean, I'm pretty sure the, the, Bills, the Bills are probably up there. All these, you know, the pass-happy – I mean, I'm pretty sure Tampa Bay is probably up there as well. Uh, a lot of these pass-happy offenses are going to have, the you know, the tops in the league if, with, with passes dropped just because of the volume. But, yeah, I mean, that game definitely – I mean, the, the offensive performance – Outside of the Raiders game the past couple, couple weeks, past few weeks, we haven't really had a great offensive game, a great offensive output. Um, credit to our defense. Our defense has been carrying this team for the most part, which is good to, which is good to see. But I want to see this team come together as a collective like that Raiders game. Hopefully this Raiders game this weekend we can <laughs> repeat the same performance that we did against them last time. But um, I don't think our defense is even better than it was at that moment then. So... Yeah, the drop the drop passes are unacceptable. Regardless, for me, honestly, regardless of the name of the jersey, I mean, you, you, these these guys are professionals of what they do. You're a professional pass catcher. Mm-hmm. There, there's no excuses to be, you know. what I mean, I'm I, I'm a I'm a courier driver for FedEx, and I'm if I'm going out every day and wrecking my truck every day, I'm gonna lose my job. Right. You know what I mean? So these guys, this is what they're and I expect Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill to bounce back. They're not going to continue to drop passes. Byron Pringle's been a sure-handed guy and a good playmaker when called upon. Yeah. So this is not – I'm not going to – 
it just wasn't a fun performance all over. The first drive, though, was was nice. I mean, we were moving the ball quickly, getting the ball out fast, throwing the ball downfield. Pat was sharp. Guys were catching the ball. You know, that first drive was was fun to watch. It looked like the Chiefs offense. I just, I don't know, man. There's there's a lot of things, I think, that are just moving, that are, that's kind of slowing. Like, like you said, we're shooting ourselves in our, our own foot. Um, this offense is just hamstringing itself at this point. I still don't believe that the league is caught onto this offense. I still I still believe this this league fears the offense. This is why the Broncos were going for it on fourth downs. They don't do that if they don't think this this offense is good. This offense is elite. So this, the, the league still fears this offense for a good reason. We just need to believe in ourselves. We need to, you know, understand that we need to just do our job simple. If these elite athletes are doing their job and catching passes, what happens after that? We've, we've seen right. what we're capable of. Well, so. if you think about it, I mean, Patrick Mahomes goes 15 of 29 in this game. With the five drops, because of the five drops, he, his uh, completion percentage went down to 52% yeah. in this game. Well, and then the, the picks. Yeah, yeah, and those five picks. drops don't happen. His his completion percentage for that game is 69%. Nice. Yeah. But, I mean, you're talking about a 17% drop for Patrick Mahomes. Also, again, you, you look at the, the, uh, the amount of yards that would have gone into those five completions. He had 184 yards for the game. If you add those in, he would have had about 285 yards, a touchdown, at least one touchdown, zero picks, and his rating would have gone from 57 to 97 to 100. Mm-hmm. So th- this is what I'm talking about. Like we, We're sitting here critiquing Patrick Mahomes from the national level down, but we're not contextualizing why his numbers look so bad and why his numbers look bad right now. Over the last several weeks, it's because, again... Those drops are so key in big moments, not just for the results of the game, but just for Patrick Mahomes' own confidence. Because you know, quarterbacks play in rhythm. And when you're not getting that rhythm down because your guys are dropping passes at all levels of the field, from the from the short screen passes all the way up to the deep routes, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that's not going to be able to catch any rhythm or confidence and get on the same page with those wide receivers. It's very frustrating. I, I don't believe it's going to continue, especially guys play like Tyreek Hill and, Pat, and, and, and Travis Kelsey because yeah. I know and I've seen enough of a sample size and a body work from these guys to know what they're going to do. But my, my concerns are... When it comes to those third, fourth options, I really think at this time, man, you're, you're looking at the Chiefs having a, a grand opportunity to start throwing the ball a little bit more to their running backs. Because, yep. for one, Clyde Edwards-Lair is a pass. I was a pass. That, that was the bright spot of the yeah. offense last week. He's a pass-catching uh, running back more than he is a running running back. And Darrell Williams, we've already seen him this season catch, and he's averaging almost 10 yards per reception. So I, I think that now, <laughs> the way the offense has been playing with Byron Pringle and McCool Hartman and Demarcus Robinson and Josh Gordon being a complete ghost and these other guys being unreliable I think Andy Reid and and, and the schemes that they're gonna have to run from here on out it's their hands been forced they're gonna have to start throwing the ball to the running backs a lot more and quite frankly it's it's worked yes exactly we've seen when Clyde gets the ball in the flat he he makes things happen Daryl has been unbelievably reliable this year in fact he's probably been the wide receiver three for this team everyone's been looking for that but it's been Daryl Williams when he's been given opportunity so I'm I'm really hoping that that, that the Chiefs really start going in that direction now now moving to the defensive side of things and, and we are going to have our guy Jason Dunn here in just a little bit, guys, so bear with us because I'm, I'm really excited to get his thoughts and, the, and his mind on these things. But uh, on the defensive side, there there was very little that I took away from this game that was negative. The only thing I would say is that I felt that there was that one drive uh, in the second quarter where the Broncos just absolutely dominated the Chiefs at the line of scrimmage, where their offensive line was just pushing them around. Javante Williams was getting whatever he wanted on the ground. He was getting big chunk yards. But here's the best part about it. The most negative thing I could take away from the fact is the Chiefs gave up a 23-play drive, yeah. right? It, it took up over 10 minutes of the game, 
and they gave up zero points. And here's the here's the best yeah, thing about this game. They converted like four, two fourth downs. Too. Yes, and they got zero points off the drive. So the worst thing I could take away from the Chiefs' defense is a, is a drive that they give up zero points on. Now, the best part of the game, my favorite part of this game, it wasn't Dan Sorensen's pick six. It wasn't Juan Thornhill's awesome pick, which I loved seeing as well. The safeties played an insanely great game in this one. Yeah. It was the fact that they made Teddy Bridgewater throw the ball 40 times. Like, I know that the Chiefs had a comfortable lead for the majority of the game, or at least they, they it felt like they had a comfortable lead for the majority of the game. But the fact that they made Teddy Bridgewater have to chuck the ball around all night long and not let them continue this balanced attack on offense, where you saw this one drive where Javante was just running all over them, and after that you didn't really see anything else from him after that. I really, I, time, like, yeah, I really love the fact that they made Teddy turn into a – a pass happy quarterback and forcing the Broncos to play a game they're not comfortable that pressure. playing. We're yeah. bringing that pressure up front, man. So that, that's that was the, I, I think that and I posted this poll on Twitter after the game. I said, which scenario do you think fits the Chiefs' success better? Like which one gives them the best chance of winning a Super Bowl? The offense continues to struggle like this, but the defense stays as dominant as they've been. Or the offense gets their their mojo back, but the defense starts to regress. And as I, as I currently sit here, as crazy as this sounds, I think door number one fits best. Because of the fact that if you look at the rest of the AFC right now, the best teams at the top of the AFC do not have great offenses. I mean, they do, but they don't. You know what I mean? Like, you have the Patriots who can who can tally up points, but their quarterback you can't trust. Josh Allen is so damn inconsistent this season, but they have really good weapons. So they can score points, but you just don't know for sure what, you're, what they're going to bring on a weekly basis. And then you have the Ravens. You have no idea what the Ravens are going to do. But Lamar can go out there and rush for 150 yards and score 30 on you. I would rather the Chiefs' defense go out there and make sure that those guys stay down. I would rather their defense go out there and dominate those offenses to make sure they're not getting any momentum going. They're not going to score 30 points on us. And then Patrick Mahomes, I have to put enough trust in him to know, even if they're not great right now, he's going to do enough because yeah. against those quarterbacks, Patrick's going to do enough, and I believe he can outplay any well, of them. We have a guy by the name of Andy Reid calling the shots. So most as opposed, offensively. Yeah, as opposed to the Chiefs trying to beat everybody 38-31 to 31 because, as we've seen, when the Chiefs, even when they were clicking early in the season offensively, they were turning the ball over at an historic rate. So I think just from seeing this season being from one extreme to the other I would rather door number one where the defense continues to dominate and the offense has some struggles but does enough as opposed to Patrick Mahomes the offense starting to get back to you know eight yards a play nine yards a play but turn the ball over two to four times a game I would much rather them play the way they've been playing lately than what they were playing in the first five weeks of the season what yeah. would you what, what which avenue would you take I'd probably, yeah I'd probably say the same just because I do trust that the I mean you don't have to win, or you don't have to be an elite offense to go win a Super Bowl. But I think I think a, a, a top tier defense is that much more valuable um, as far as winning a championship goes. Um, but I mean, I I know those are the two options, but I would like to see this offense kind of get its mojo, especially once the playoff time comes around. I don't really care right now. Like in these divisional games, we can win sixteen to ten in these divisional games. I'm not too worried. But like once. You know the last, say the last two games of the year when we go play the Bengals and they're and they're firing off offense, up, getting the, you know, say the Bengals put up twenty four to twenty seven points on us. Can we go put up 30, 35, 40 points on them? I think we can, but I want to see it. You know, that's what was so fun about that Raiders game um, was seeing that this offense has its mojo. You know, we got the swagger back and all that stuff. That's that's the Chiefs that we know. Um, this offense being as good as it is right now is such a plus, and it was a little unexpected. Um, with the, the the impact that Melvin Ingram has brought to this defense, but um, yeah, I do. I think the defense is is that important right now. Um, and I, I just yeah, I would take a mediocre offense. I mean, uh, and uh, to, uh, compared to our standard, 
of what we're used to offensively here in Kansas City. I'll take a mediocre version of that, which is pretty much the league average offense. Yeah. I'll take that with this elite defensive play right now. Um, with you know, we got the guys you know by the name of Dirty Dan Sorensen, <laughs> you know, high stepping into you know pick sixes into the end zone, which is if that's going on, I mean things are going good in Kansas City. So. Um, yeah, I'll definitely take that door uh, with the defense playing the way it is. As we're as we're actually live streaming right now, this show, and for anybody that's listening to this a day later uh, or so, we apologize for this if it seems like it's late news. But uh, according to uh, several different sources right now, there's been some breaking news. Uh, the Chiefs cornerback Legereus Sneed has been added to the injury report and is officially questionable versus the Raiders for non-injury-related issues. They're saying they're personal reasons. Um, that's all I'm hearing. I have not heard anything else. No one has tipped me off on anything like that. Um, I will be putting out some feelers, but I'm assuming by the time I find out anything that the majority of us will already know what's going on. But it does sound like there is a legitimate chance that Legereus Sneed will not be playing in this game or is at least questionable at this time. Now... I don't want to hop over into the Raiders uh, Chiefs Raiders preview just yet, but what I will say about this news is the fact that although it, it absolutely sucks to hear, and I, and I don't think that any of us would be excited to hear this news if, in fact, Legereus Need does not go because he's having an incredible season and he's insanely valuable to this team and this defense in, in its entirety. I, I don't I don't know if this is the week though that I would feel overly concerned about losing him because of the fact that the Raiders have so many issues health-wise on their offense. Obviously, Kenyon Drake broke his uh, ankle, and Darren Waller is going to miss this game again with multiple injuries. Uh, I think if there was a week, though, that Legereus Sneed could or should miss, if we're going to be honest, it would be this week. How's Rashad Fenton's health? He's back. He, okay. He's been practicing all week. He's one of the highest. Him and Lucas Nyango. Yeah. Rashad, I've been a Rashad Fenton fan since I've seen him step on the field. I liked him. I liked him when he was in the, when we won the Super Bowl in 2019. I liked his aggressive mentality. I think we got guys in it. Plus, the, I mean, kudos to Spags. Spags been coaching his ass yeah. off, so I think he's yep. going to have guys in place regardless. I mean, granted, Legereus Sneed, I, I prefer Legereus Sneed more in those blitz pitches and things like that. That's what I'm going to miss the most about him. He's so good at getting in there and hitting running backs and hitting the quarterback and, you know, jarring the ball loose and things like that. That's what I'm going to miss the most. But as far as coverage, I think Fenton will fill in just fine if if it is the case that Legereus Sneed is out. Hopefully uh, the personal reasons aren't anything serious or anything like that. Maybe it's a family matter or something like that. Hopefully he's not having some attitude adjustment, any kind of issue like that. Because um, we do not need that right now. <laughs> yeah, and we have no idea, honestly, what, what the issue is. Uh, so I hate speculating yeah. as to what it could be. It, it literally could be anything. It could be family issues. Could be family something yeah, like it could be a lot of a lot of different scenarios. So um, according to uh, Sam McDowell, actually this just dropped like two minutes ago. Some sad news to share. TQ Harrison, the oldest brother of Chiefs cornerback Legereus Sneed, was killed last night oh, in their hometown of Midden, Louisiana. Sneed, in this story he shared his last month, credited Harrison with raising him until he was six years old. Okay, so this is obviously very sad news. Um, this is this is this is horrible uh, in every way imaginable, and we really hate to hate to see this. I would I would bet that there's there's probably maybe a solid chance that Legereus is not playing tomorrow. Um, and honestly, I, I I wouldn't blame him at all. Uh, if you and I were in a similar situation, obviously we wouldn't be at our profession. I mean, yeah, but the next some, of these, some of these players are different. Some of these players prefer to play it. You yeah. know, they feel like they can. They want to go out there and dedicate that game to them or something like that. That happens. I mean, but this is beyond football, man. This is uh, when it comes to family like that. Like, it, no one should judge this man for wanting to take some time off and go home and see his family, especially you know a blood brother, a blood relative. That's 
that's about as tough of a situation you can be in, in a, a, as a personal matter. Goes, yeah. So. so we're gonna obviously, if there's any more news about this, guys, we'll we'll give it to you as that progresses, um, because I know that a lot of people get this get these get this news on our podcast. I know that's um, a that's way terrible. to yeah. This is this is very sad news, man. Like I said, and uh, we hope we hope nothing but the best for Legereus Eden and his family in this trying time. Because I know when it comes to things like this, football isn't the most important thing. Football honestly never is the most important thing, but it is an important aspect of life, especially for a guy like Legereus Sneed. So if he decides to give it a go and you know try to fight through these things, I don't blame him. But man, that's 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 a tough thing to go through, man. And so let's 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 transition here. Let's 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 um. Get back actually to this this Broncos and Chiefs game and a few other uh, takeaways I had as we wait for our guy Jason Dunn to be joining us. You know, one of the things that I didn't like um, from Andy Reid in this game, and I, and let me let me preface this by saying, guys, I love Andy. I've had a lot of pushback. People think that I'm not an Andy Reid fan, or I've wanted him fired. I've wanted him gone. That that hasn't been the case, but I'm always I'm always going to be one of these people that has to keep it 100% when it comes to even the the people I'm a biggest fan of. Trevor and I, you know, big big LeBron guys. But if LeBron's struggling, LeBron's not doing something right, we'll point it out. Uh, we may not go hard in the paint on him because we know that you know his accomplishments outweigh pretty much anybody in the history of the NBA. Same with Patrick Mahomes and what he's done. I'm not going to go hard in the paint on Patrick Mahomes when I know what he can do and what he has done, what he continues to do. Same with Andy Reid. Andy Reid's one of the three to five greatest coaches in the history of the NFL, and I'm not going to sit here and just tear tear the guy down when something he does in game I don't like. But he didn't. He did a few things in this Broncos game I really didn't like, and I got to be honest with you guys. I, I think that it, it could have very well um, hurt the team far more than it helped the team. And I'm not somebody that's going to sit here and tell a guy that's been coaching in the league now for over 20 years what to do or what he should do. But this is my opinion. I thought it was very cowardly that Andy Reid decided to on fourth down within five yards of the end zone with Patrick Mahomes and a full slate of weapons uh, kick a field goal when you could have went up and scored, I believe they would have been up 17 points had they scored a touchdown in that drive, as opposed to 13. Now, the game away. yeah, you're, you're, you still have a comfortable lead for the most part. The Broncos offense hadn't done really anything at all to give you any fear. My problem with it is, to me, it, 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 did, it did two things. It showed me a lack of confidence in his offense, and it showed me almost a disrespect to the defense. And I don't think Andy did it intentionally, but that's what I took away from it in that moment, and I still feel that way. The reason why, when it comes to the offense, is the fact that I understand they were dropping the ball a lot, and they've had turnover issues throughout the season. But in those moments against a divisional foe, when you can step on their throat and put that game away and put that game on ice and you don't do that, that tells me that your belief in the offense, whether he agrees with what I'm saying or not, it still tells me that you have a lack of confidence in their ability to get it done. That you're willing to go and get three points as opposed to go for six points and just put the game on ice. I, I really didn't like the mentality. We know Andy does this. He's ultra conservative. And he also did this at the end of the first half where they had a minute, I think it was like a minute and 20 left. He had two timeouts left or one, one or two timeouts left to go. And he decides to run the ball and just run the clock down. Like you have Patrick Mahomes, man. Like you have an opportunity to go and get more points. And in that moment, I would have been okay for them to play for the field goal. Just get in field goal range, try to get some points and then go into the second half with the ball that much more of an advantage but they didn't do that he played ultra conservative and i really despise that when andy decides to go that route on the defensive side of things as we just alluded to the defense was so good in this game as they have been over the last five six weeks and when you're when you're going for field goals in moments like that like i said on fourth and goal and you're just within striking distance 
and you're putting the game back into the defense's hands after they've been laboring and laboring to give you a lead and hold down the forward as your offense continues to struggle, to me that's disrespectful because it's telling me that you're not going to give them that much more of a cushion. Because let's say a guy slips on a route and a wide receiver like Cortland Sutton's wide open down the field and, and Teddy hits him for a touchdown. Then all of a sudden that field goal looks even worse because mistakes will happen. Even as great of a defense as the Chiefs have become, there are mistakes that are to be had on that field. And as we saw, the Chiefs had multiple dropped interceptions. So what's to say that doesn't happen again and the ball falls into the receiver's hand and he takes it to the house? All of a sudden, that, that, that decision to go for the field goal looks even worse. I just wish Andy would pick up his guys a little bit more in those moments because, to me, I felt he played it extremely safe, and I just don't like it when teams do that, especially teams that are aspiring to win more Super Bowls. Yeah, I mean, this, but, I mean, this has always been who Andy Reid is, though, for the most part. He's, he, he, plays the, uh, he always plays to the odds. Right, and the, if the odds are in his favor, he's going to keep it safe. He's going to keep it close to the vest. He's going to not put too much on film. He's going to play pretty vanilla offense if his defense is firing off on all cylinders, which we were. Um, you know, uh, me, obviously, me and you share that same mentality. We're very aggressive. We like aggressive offense, which is what this offense has been with Patrick Mahomes at the helm. But I think at the same time, Andy Reid saw a trend that game. The guys were dropping passes. Our offensive players looked timid for some reason. This is a good defense we were facing, so there were any any chance. You talk about, you know, um, the, the the odds of, you know, um, a Broncos, one of our corners slipping in a Broncos receiver taking it to the house. I think the odds were far more in the favor of, you know, uh, um, us, us throwing a pick or something like that or us tipping a pass, you know, and them taking a pick six to the house if we're trying to go get points. So right. I think Andy Reid was like, you know what? This defense is balling out. Teddy Bridgewater looks like trash. I'm confident in this defense. Even if we don't score another point the rest of this game, I'm confident we're going to win this game. Granted, I don't like that either, but I think, look, man, 12 straight wins against the Broncos. I'm yep. not going to question the guy that's that's created that record right now. So I, um, he bugs me sometimes. He bugs me the clock management sometimes. But the overall pros to his cons, I'm riding with Andy, man. Yeah. But yeah, that was definitely frustrating, especially when you know you have an elite quarterback. And that elite quarterback was wanting to go for it, was wanting to go get some points. But sometimes, you know, you just got to play the safe route um, and just play the odds game or whatever odds are in your favor. And I think the odds were in our favor to just play it safe that game, get in, get out. We got we got out of that game healthy. Our defense looks great still. A divisional win. Got another one right, you know, coming on tomorrow. So we got these are very important games. Yeah. And we we started off uh, on the wrong foot in this division. So we were trying to fix that. And I, I just, I'm not mad about it really. In the moment, I was heated because I wanted those points. Because um, you want to destroy all your divisional foes. You always want to win big. Um, but it was a pretty boring second half, especially. Uh, I mean, really, they only really scored points in, in garbage time for the most part. So. I'm I'm happy with it. I'm fine with the decision that he. Yeah, made. I feel like I'm picking caviar out of my teeth when I complain about Andy yeah. Reid. You know what I mean? Because it, it, it makes Punching me down. Yeah, it makes me feel like I'm a spoiled brat, and and maybe I am being. Maybe I am, but it, it just for me, man. It's it's it's. It, this is such a competitive league, yeah. and this this is a, a week to week league as well, where you have to make sure that you're you're staying on top of your competition constantly. And one thing I love about what Bill Belichick does is he does not relinquish, he does not relent, he does not stop. Yeah. He, if he gets an opportunity to blow you out, he's going to blow you out. He's going. I mean, what he, he did no against respect. yeah, what he did against the Bills last week, <laughs> no where he respect. just ran the ball yeah. forty six times, so it's <laughs> savage as fuck. And I loved it. I, I actually enjoyed the shit out of that yeah. because it showed it, that was so on brand for Belichick. And what makes me 
somewhat upset with Andy is I feel like when it comes to what's on brand for Andy is things like that. And it just, I think that there's just a different mentality with some of these coaches. And I tend to lean more on the side of being a savage. But I will say this though, too, if, because we all know Bill Belichick plays no shit. If you're, if you're a running back and you fumble, he'll put the third string running back in there and, and sit you for the rest of the game, or at least yeah. for the rest of a certain half. So I think, you know, Andy Reid might've been in a similar vein in that game because receivers didn't want to catch the ball. Fine. We're going to get your ass off the field. We're not even going to try to throw down and go get points right now. I'm confident that we can just get out of this half, get out of this game with, you know, a subpar offensive performance. If you guys want to catch passes, fine. Right. Let's just play a solid defensive game get out. Granted, I don't think that was his mindset, but I, I, at the same time, like, you know, similar to Belichick benches running back for, for not, you know, for securing the ball. Receivers don't want to secure the ball. We're not going to throw to you. Right. You're not going to get your numbers. Fine. We'll just try to run the ball and, and throw to our running backs, which – I want to see more of because, quite frankly, that only opens up the offense. I think Andy Reid's got a whole lot of offensive situational football going on up his sleeve that he just hasn't – because we haven't put a lot on film, man. And to your point about that, what you're saying about, about Andy Reid holding things back, I actually do buy into that he theory does that. because this is what he did in 2019. Time, there's always some trickery going on. And I'm glad you brought this up because that was actually something I wanted to talk about before our guy Jason Dunn gets here in a few minutes. Um there is, there is something to that as well, that Andy likes to reserve a little bit because he's confident his team's going to get to the playoffs and he's trying to make sure they, they maintain their health, which is obviously he's a, he's got a track more. record of being aggressive in the playoffs. Yeah, in 2019, two things happened that are happening this season that get me very excited about the Chiefs' Super Bowl chances. And, and those two things are, for one, the Chiefs are now currently on a five-game, not only a five-game winning streak, which, by the way, Andy Reid has the most five-game winning streak consecutive seasons of yeah. a five-game winning streak in NFL history, by the way. Nine straight seasons of a five-game winning streak. That's one, okay? Number two, the Chiefs have held their opponents to 17 or fewer points in five straight games. You know the last time the Chiefs did that? In 2019. What did the Chiefs do in 2019, Trevor? Won the Super Bowl. Won the Super Bowl. Okay. Now, also, there's another thing that I really like that it actually is exciting me, and it actually has to do with the Chiefs' struggles. In 2019, the Chiefs, their last four games of the season, their offense dropped points per game almost by five points per game. And we're sitting here going, man, Andy, Patrick Mahomes wasn't really good against the Chargers in Mexico City. Man, Patrick Mahomes wasn't really good against that team in the in the final stretch of the of, of the season. What is there something going on? Like schematically, is Patrick Mahomes maybe not as great as we thought he was? Oh, and then they go and score fifty one on the Texans in the divisional round. Oh, we're down by twenty. Then they score thirty five against the Titans. Oh, then they drop thirty one against the one of the best defenses we've ever seen in the San Francisco 49ers at the biggest stage of them all in Patrick Mahomes' first Super Bowl. Yeah, I guess they're okay. I think this Chiefs team right now is actually better than the 2019 Chiefs. I think they have more talent on the defensive side. Patrick Mahomes is clearly a better quarterback now than he was back in 2019, even though he does have his struggles. He's a better, more experienced quarterback. He's been a back-to-back Super Bowl since 2019. So there's a lot to this team that they didn't have back in 2019. The experience of, of playing in the biggest stages, because like I said, they had never played as a team in the Super Bowl before that 2019 season. Mm-hmm. So there, there's just a lot more experience to the team. I think they have more talent on both sides of the ball. And quite honestly, there's more motivating factors. Well, there, there's equal motivating factors, because in the 2019 season, they were coming off an AFC championship loss that pissed them off. And last season, the Chiefs got humiliated in front of 38 million people on TV. On this in the Super Bowl stage, so there's motivating factors that are almost equivalent to what they went through two years ago. So I don't know what you're seeing from this team, but I think there are so many similarities from this team to that 2019 team. Yeah, I mean, and there was obviously some context there with the 2019 season with injuries and Pat being banged up as well coming back. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, and this defense, I mean, is 
in my mind, far better than that defense even was, too. So it's really just a matter of time until this. I mean, like I said before you started saying what you said right now, I mean, I, I fully believe Andy Reid has a lot of things drawn up and ready to go, you know, barring whatever matchup we face in the playoffs. Um, you know, and especially when it comes to games that are, you know, teams are say because we haven't had a, it's been a minute since a, uh, any team has really put up points on us. And we had to chase them. Yeah, it's been a minute since we've had to do that. So Andy Reid hasn't really had to pull out the big guns to start throwing out these game plans uh, to counter all these points happening against us. So if our defense is keeping off the opposing offenses at bay, Andy Reid doesn't really have to do much. He doesn't really he doesn't need Pat to go out there and throw for five hundred and five. You know, granted, unless it's the Raiders and he just wants to let Pat unleash hell, I'm cool with that 100%. Um, but that's just a bad Raider defense overall, bad secondary at least. They have a good front four. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not, I'm fine with it, man. As long as we keep piling up these dubs and keep this winning record going, heading and, and you know, uh, the momentum of winning going into the postseason, that's all I want. I don't want to be a losing team heading into the postseason and just making it. You know, and having our backs. Granted, we performed well with our backs against the wall and being, in, you know, into a corner. But I don't want to deal with that again. You know, we're we're a two-time um, Super Bowl appearing team. Uh, uh, offense. I have no. I have no worry that this offense is going to get it together come playoff time. Man, I really well, don't. And then, and then there's there's obviously a, a, an elephant in the room that we have to address. It's a guy that I've been a day one supporter of but is clearly in the doghouse for the Chiefs and I really do worry about his future it's McCall Hardman uh, we've seen as the weeks progress he's been getting less and less snaps and opportunities to do anything in this offense when the season first started you saw how the Chiefs were just feeding him the ball jet sweeps short screen passes getting the ball in his hands with an opportunity to do something with his feet because he's one of the fastest guys in the NFL but as the season has progressed and the Chiefs have gotten better, McColl has gotten worse. We've seen him drop passes, fumble fumble balls. He's been taken off the special teams unit. He's not. He's basically a non-factor with this team, where guys like uh, uh, um, uh, Byron Pringle are getting more opportunities over him. Marcus Robbins was out there more than him that, last week. Yes, and that's and that's been the story, man. Is that I think McCole Harmon year three, which I I was so excited for him this season. I thought this was the perfect opportunity with the rebuilt offensive line, with with the Chiefs motivated to get back into the Super Bowl. McCole Harmon, you know, this is an opportunity for really put himself on the map and even get himself an extension after the season because he's eligible for one after this year because year four is his final year of his rookie deal I felt like this was the year for McColl to really pop and he's done anything but that now as crazy as it sounds he's still third on the team in receptions and yards which is I I just can't believe it but I I think that Andy Reid is putting it on paper and putting it in front of us despite what he says on in in these conference calls and these in these press conferences I think I think Andy's showing that this is this is the I think this is the final year for McColl Harmon in Kansas City I know I've had a lot of people come to me on Twitter and say Lance He's got a rookie year left, or he's got his fourth year on his rookie deal left. I don't think the Chiefs are going to trade him, this and this and this. I I get that. But I don't think the Chiefs are going to extend him. So what other option do the Chiefs have? I I wouldn't just let him walk. I'm not saying they're going to get a third-round pick from McCole Hardman because right now as it currently stands, they wouldn't because he hasn't put up third third third-round production. 
What I think the Chiefs are going to do, though, is I think they can package him in a deal. I think that you can get add him in a, in, a, in, a, in a draft pick for said player. Let's say another wide receiver. Let's say for other draft picks. Things of that nature. I don't see a scenario where McCole Hardman makes sense for this team moving forward simply because he has not taken that next step. I mean, the Chiefs have been so desperate. They added Josh Gordon to the equation. He's still done nothing, but he's still out there playing snaps more than McCole Hardman has. That's saying something. Yeah. Josh Gordon has played over 120 snaps over the last few weeks. That's not what McCole Hardman's done. McCole Hardman has played less than 20% of the snaps over the last month. That's not good. And I think that, like I said, it's pretty damning for a guy that the Chiefs traded up for in the second round to get. That that tells you something because we were talking about these very same things about Juan Thornhill when Dan Sorensen was starting over him. We're sitting here going, why isn't Juan Thornhill getting opportunity? He was a second-round pick. The Chiefs wanted him. They needed him. All these things. We finally see him play, and he steps up. Well, it's been the opposite for McCole Hardman despite having so many opportunities. I don't know what you're seeing. I don't know what you're thinking about McCole, but that's where I stand on him currently. Well, yeah, typically when a, when a team is being called out on, or not even that they're being called out on this, but you know when a, a, a high draft pick is being is underperforming, typically they try to force the hand and try to get him going and yeah. try to you know try to prove to themselves that they made the right choice in bringing him here and, and and making that pick. Granted, it was in a sticky situation with the Tyreek Hill situation going on uh, to to get another speedster, another guy that can be a game breaker type of uh, of wide receiver. So I get why the pick was 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 picked at the time, but there was so much better options in my mind on the draft board available you know the DK Metcalf I think Debo Samuel was available still so I mean that's just inexcusable to me um uh yeah I, I, I I've never been a big McColl fan I I support him I've always rooted for him I want to see him do good I try to speak it into existence and want to see him become something special here because I think in this offense he could thrive more than almost any other offense in my mind um because he fits this offense he just has not been performing well and the fact that they're not the, the fact that they're taking him off the field more and more kind of just kind of just tells you the tale of the tape man in my mind I think he's I think he's done um I, I I think he's very effective on the jet sweeps I think he's very effective on go routes and like nine routes and just you know home run hitting plays but our offense hasn't been doing that a lot this year so the fact that he you know we're not performing on that kind of level offensively as a unit he's not gonna have his numbers that we've seen I just I just don't think I think he's just getting fizzled out. I think we need more possession-type receivers, and that's just not who he is. He's not a traditional receiver. He's a he's a kick returner at at you know at heart. That's what he was originally in college, and you know he he just hasn't been he, uh, his route tree hasn't evolved enough for me to be impressed by him. And um, I just don't see you know because that's similar to what Tyreek Hill was when we brought him in here. You know he was the gadget guy. Everyone wanted to call him returner and. Um, but he, he put in the work. You know, he became an elite route route runner, an elite ball tracker, elite hands for the most part until these past couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, I just don't. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the sheer will of of getting trying to get better um, from McCole, and that's disheartening, man. Because I I do like him. I like him as an individual. I like his personality. I like him as a skill set player. But he's just not putting it on the film, man. And he's not. He's not in, in the same. Him and Pat just don't have that connection. I don't think. Uh, at least li- lately, this season, for the most part, he's just been kind of a gadgety guy, and it works at times. But I just overall, like, he's very, very replaceable at this point. Right. Well, we're still waiting for our guy Jason Dunn. I know he's a very busy man, so we'll we'll get him on here as soon as we possibly can. But I wanted to throw a question out to you, Trevor, because the Eddie Hour is obviously absent this week. Mm-hmm. Um, this was something I was pondering on. 
quite a bit, and it has to do with Chief, uh, not not the Chiefs. Actually, <laughs> has nothing to do with the Chiefs. It's about the other teams in the league because we, I believe, this offseason we're going to have a ton of, of quarterback movement. Maybe not as much as some anticipate. But I do anticipate that there's going to be some names, some very recognizable quarterback names being moved around in this offseason. And there are four names that came to mind. And some of them might sound uh, a little far-fetched when it comes to movement, but I think there are, there's some serious potential there just because they're their current team and where their current team's at, they might want to move on from those quarterbacks or those quarterbacks might want to move on from them. So there are four names that I brought up that I asked on our poll on the Spoken Pod on, on Twitter. You can follow us there at the Spoken Pod. Uh, who is more likely to be back with their current team in 2022? Aaron Rodgers, Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr, or Russell Wilson? I felt that these were the four names that I really wanted to bring up because of the fact that obviously we know the the situation with Aaron Rodgers. We've been it's been telegraphed for years now as far as him and his relationship with the Packers. Now he's just not a a fan of their uh, a Brian Gutekunst if I'm if I'm not mistaken their GM. He's not a fan of his. We know that Aaron Rodgers did not want to come back to the Packers this offseason, no matter how many times he tries to deny that. We know that Aaron's had his own controversial situations with COVID and you know uh, situations of, of medicine that he doesn't like. He's talking about his foot injury, open and honestly now on Pat McAfee's show, which, by the way, congrats to Mr. Pat McAfee on that new yeah, deal he just sure. landed. That show deserves mm-hmm. it, man. They're one of the best shows around. But um, Aaron Rodgers, to me, is a guy that I feel that has a, a lot of potential Uh, of moving on, even though the Packers have an insanely great roster, one of the best rosters in football, and it would make so much sense for Aaron Rodgers to stay put. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I think that the the Browns have done everything possible to give him an opportunity to succeed. He has one of the best rosters in the the NFL around him, a very winnable division at this point because the Ravens have floundered, the Steelers are not for real, and the Bengals are so inconsistent. And yet, Baker Mayfield continues to fail. I think he's only got 13 or 14 passing touchdowns on the entire season. I know he's injured, but that's also a concern. Yeah, he's also, if everything is perfect around Baker, they can be a really good team. But when things aren't perfect, where Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt get injured, you see this offense and how bad it looks at times, and I just don't think that Baker Mayfield's going to have a, a long future with the with the uh, with the Cleveland Browns. Derek Carr, to me, is 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 the most interesting one, and and Russell Wilson, I think we have some questions about that as well. But I I don't want to go too far into it. I don't want to break all this down. I actually want to get your thoughts on this and get your reasons behind it. Who do you think is more likely of those four names to stick with their current team? I think Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr. This is why I say Derek Carr because I think he he wants to be a Raider. He doesn't want to leave. Only reason, only way I see him exiting Raider Nation is if the front office, the GM, Mike Mayock, whatever coach they bring in, doesn't want Derek Carr to be their guy. Um, and I think Derek Carr's been really good this year. He's put a, he put together a really good season for what they've been through this year, yeah. all the ups and downs and the hirings and firings and off-field issues going on with that, with that roster. I think he's held himself pretty well. He's a, he's a level-headed guy, and I think he's a, a, a good, consistent quarterback in this league. Um, I think Derek, for me, I think Derek Carr is the guy that sticks around. I think Russell needs to get out of Seattle. I think he needs to leave there. I think it's crumbling there. I don't. I think their days are numbered there for that entire regime. Uh, I think they completely need to blow that whole thing up. Outside of their two number one, their two receivers there. I think outside of that, they need to blow that whole thing up. Um, what's his name? Their safety just went down for the year. Um, Jamal Adams, he's out for the year. So there's just so many things, and he can't. You know, he can't stay healthy. A lot of these guys, Russ is banged up again. Like. There's just so much. I think Russians get out of there and find new, uh, you know, a new, a new landscape, a new, um, 
just location for him to play some good football. He's still got a lot of good football left. Aaron Rodgers, I need he needs to go somewhere else. I think we've talked about this. We spent a whole offseason talking about where Aaron Rodgers needs to go. So I think, you know, we all have a good idea where he would thrive. Um, but I think if anybody's going to stay, who was the other one you said? That was the fourth one? So Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I mean, Baker is going to be a backup here pretty soon somewhere. I just don't – and I've always – I've been a believer in Baker since he came into the league. I liked him. I liked him as a person. I still do. I love him as an individual. Uh, he's a well-spoken guy, good character, very charismatic. A good leader, I think, too. He's just not very good on the NFL level. He was incredible in college. He was fun to watch in college. He has that fire, what you want in a leader. I just don't think – you know, when the X's and O's, I just don't think he's that great. Granted, he hasn't had a lot of great weapons, consistent weapons in the offense in the passing game to throw to. It's a lot of tight end, two tight end, three tight end sets, a lot of running. You know, so I, I think if anybody's gonna stick around there and their their team, though, I do think it's gonna be Derek Carr. Cause I, I, he's or he's he grew up a Raiders fan. It's a dream come true for him to be, you know, uh, the quarterback for the Raiders. He's had a good year. It just really depends if they if the organization wants to bring him back, and I think they will. I think they might draft another quarterback in this draft coming up to, for him, you know, to work on grooming a replacement for him. But he's got a lot of good football left in him, man. And I, I just, I mean, I don't believe in him as like a true like contender in this division. But he's a good quarterback, good enough to you know, you know, stick around. And I don't think they have any other options really, unless they bring in an Aaron Rodgers or something like that over there, um, which is possible. We don't know where Aaron Rodgers would go even if he does leave. Uh, but for me, my pick would be Derek Carr to, if any quarterback's going to stay where they're at. I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts of this next offseason with yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah, um, I, I, I want to start with Baker Mayfield because he's the only one on this list that is still on his rookie deal. Uh, we obviously know when you're a first-round pick, you get that fifth-year option. And for me, it's very simple. If the Browns were, were going to extend Baker Mayfield, they'd have already done it. I know you think Aaron Rodgers is going to there. You think it's a good I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is going to go there. I'm saying that if I was the Browns, I would give up any and everything to oh, get Aaron yeah. Rodgers. And it makes so much sense for all sides. Think about it. For the Browns, you're obviously getting Aaron Rodgers. So that we don't even need to spec we need to go that you could just say that. Yeah. When it comes to Aaron Rodgers, you're going to the AFC and you're going on a on a roster that is a contender with with Kevin Stefanski as your as I your think head you coach. You go all in on Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. And you could do that cuz they have, they have the draft They're capital to be, trade yeah. and they have pieces they could trade that they could still be a, a very Imagine. winning a very winning team. I know everyone talks about the Broncos and all these other teams, but the, the Broncos have more questions than the Browns do. They don't we don't know who their coach is going to be. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, uh, upper management issues that the Broncos have too, I think and, a hell of a coach too. and there's a factor with this too that when you come to the AFC West, it isn't that you're just coming to Patrick Mahomes' house. Mm -hmm. You're going to Justin Herbert's too. Justin Herbert's a very good quarterback in this league. We don't league. know where Deshaun Watson's going to end up either. If yeah, he stays in the AFC. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions for me as far as teams coming to the a, a quarterbacks coming to the AFC West. So that's why the Browns to me are such an attractive place for a quarterback out there that's trying to get another ring. Um, and, and and so yes, I, I think that should be the team that Aaron and that team should be looking at Aaron as well. I think that's the perfect marriage for the Packers. Also, getting Aaron Rodgers out of the NFC and going to the AFC, they don't have to worry about him anymore. But for Baker, I I, I couldn't have said it better, and I've been saying that for some time now too. I think he's going to be holding the clipboard the next couple of years. It isn't that he's not talented enough. There's just something that is missing to his game. And I think there's a Kirk Cousins thing to him. Kirk Cousins is a tier two quarterback. He's, he's a really good. Throw over the football right. I'm saying there's something to him where you got to have, because uh, let's be honest, Kirk Cousins is having a really good season. But when you have Dalvin Cook and uh, Madison behind you, that, Justin, and not to mention the, the best receiver in football, Justin. Yeah, yeah. That kind of helps out with a really good offensive line. Like, those are some really.
the kind of quarterbacks that I, I associate Baker Mayfield with. And I just think that Baker Mayfield's like the light version of a Kirk Cousins. So always good, never great. You know, he's always going to be that tier two, tier three kind of guy. And I just don't see a team out there that's going to go out there and fork over money to a six foot Baker Mayfield who's better on commercials than he is on the field. Yeah. And that's not a diss. That's just the facts, yeah, man. Yeah. He's just, he's just not he's good enough to be in some broadcasting and some, and some, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, if it doesn't work in Cleveland with all that with him, all that attached to I, I just don't see it working anywhere. Because there's not a t- another team out there that's just lying in wait. And honestly, if he was to start anywhere, I know this sounds funny, it would be the Broncos. That'd be a team I could really see kicking the tires on Baker Mayfield. He's very marketable. He would crush ass out there in Denver. People would love him in Denver. And he would be an upgrade from Teddy Bridgewater. He would be. Oh, sure. So so that's like one of the few teams I could see out there doing. But would they really fork out the money to Baker out of just sheer desperation? Maybe. Far better offensive weapons out there in Denver, too, as far as receivers go yeah so i slander is his only guy really i think of all the guys as crazy as this sound of all the guys on this list i think he's the one that's least likely to be back with his team next year i know that sounds nuts right now but just hold on it's a we're not even we're not even at the offseason yet when it comes to russell wilson this one is interesting to me because i think there are factors outside of football that are going to force russ to get to to finally say okay it's it's time for me to get out of here but see russ has a very delicate situation on his hands see russ is one of those guys that has to be liked he does not like controversy he does not like to be disliked and he doesn't want to be disliked in seattle because he knows how the reputation and legacy he's built out there if they find out up there up north that he's requested a trade and he wants out then they're going to turn on him. And he doesn't want that because he's been the greatest player in franchise history. They're not trying to have him turn on them. I'll turn on him where he, let's say, visits again. They're booing him. Let's say he's playing for another team and they're booing him. Or let's say he does like an induction speech and he's like waving his hand and he's getting booze. Russ isn't the type of guy that wants to handle that. He's just not that guy. So I think he's trying to go about this very delicately when the reports came out that he would wave his no trade for like the New Orleans Saints, Denver Broncos, teams like that. He immediately shot that down. But the factor we're not talking about here that does matter is Sierra, his wife. She wants to live in a different market, man. This has been reported numerous times. And where there is smoke, there is fire. You don't marry a woman at that magnitude and not think she's going to have some say. Look at Tom Brady and Giselle. You're going to tell me right now Giselle didn't have anything to say about him getting the fuck out of New England? You know she was sick of that shit. You know she was happy as hell when he went to Tampa. You know that's what she was. She was wanting him to play for the Chargers. So... I think it's the same scenario. Look at LeBron and Savannah. Savannah wanted to move to L.A. They're, they already had houses out there. He becomes a Laker. There's something to that. I think Russ is going to leave. I know there's been speculation about Pete Carroll potentially stepping down. I don't think that's happening. Now, I know he's 70, yeah. and I know that he's not doing a great job anymore. But you have to remember, there is nobody that's above Pete Carroll in that franchise. They don't have a guy that's his boss. The owner, the whole ownership situation is a mess. That family is an absolute mess. They basically just gave Pete Carroll full autonomy or yeah. autonomy, whatever it's called, where he gets to be basically the guy. CEO. Yeah. G- I mean, him and John Schneider, yeah. like John Schneider and him, like they run that thing, but it's Pete Carroll's house. Yeah. I have a hard time believing Pete Carroll's just going to say, you know what, I'm dropping out. Maybe in a couple years, but I think Russ and him, I think that if I'm a Seattle Seahawks, I would say, hey, we're keeping Russ. Pete, you got to step down, but there's nobody to tell him that. So I think Russ is going to be gone. When it comes to Aaron Rodgers, this is the interesting one about him. Is it would make so much sense for Rodgers to stay in Green Bay because I mean, that roster if they win a Super Bowl this year. Man, that, that roster's so good. Matt LaFleur, despite what Dan Orlovsky says when he's a top three head coach, which I disagree with at this time, he's still a top ten coach for sure. Matt Matt LaFleur, I would say there isn't 
six coaches better than him right now. I mean, there's probably five, but not six. I think he's probably like the sixth best coach in football. You could do a lot worse. Like he's yeah. better than Mike McCarthy, and Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl with Mike McCarthy. They have a very good defense. They got a lot of guys under contract. They draft very well. Arguably the best wide receiver in the league. Their division is horrible. Like yeah. <laughs> they have a terrible division. You have the Lions and Bears, and the Vikings are good, but never they're never a world beater. Mm-hmm. So you, he's he's basically guaranteed to make the playoffs as long as he wants to stay in Green Bay. But Aaron is a petty motherfucker, man. And you know that he's just waiting for an opportunity to say, you know what? Everybody thinks I should stay. Everybody thinks this is my way of winning. I'm going to go somewhere else and do a Tom Brady where I can prove to you that I can win somewhere else. Because everybody thought, and us included, oh, Tom's done. Once he moved from New England, oh, his winning days are done. Tampa ain't winning shit. And then everything went perfectly for Tom. He ends up winning a Super Bowl outside of the Belichick umbrella. You don't think Tom? You don't think Aaron wants that, where he can say, "Oh, everybody thinks I have to stay in Green Bay if I want to win or be great." Still, watch this. I'm going to Cleveland. No one sees this coming. I go to fucking Cleveland and I lead that team to the AFC Championship, and it's Patrick Mahomes. Oh, he's going to go to Chicago because so he can really. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? Like I can see Aaron going. Oh, everybody thinks this is the right way, but just like everything else, Aaron Rodgers does, and we've seen it throughout the last few months. Everything that everybody else thinks is the right idea, he does the opposite. He zigs while everyone zags. So I almost will guarantee that Aaron Rodgers is gone after this season because he doesn't go to the lengths of getting those agreements in hand where he says, if I request a trade after this season, you have to honor it. I don't think he does all that, despite how great this season goes, unless he had full intention of getting the hell out of Green Bay. I think he loves it there. I think he loves playing for the Packers. But I think because of all this resentment and all this tension between him and the franchise, I think he's come to the place where he's like, watch, bitch, I'm going to go win somewhere else. He's his own man. He's, he's that always, guy. He always plays his own trail. That's why I respect him so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, so it leads me to my last person on the list, Derek Carr. I would almost guarantee that Derek Carr's back with the with the Las Vegas Raiders. And it's not because I think he's the perfect guy for the Raiders or they're going to start winning because of Derek Carr. Because as you can see, Derek Carr's putting up numbers yeah. and they're going to miss the playoffs again. So it isn't that I think this is the perfect marriage. It isn't because I think that he's the right guy for the job and they're going to start, like I said, reeling off you know playoff playoff wins with Derek Carr. That's I don't think that's ever going to happen. But the, the, the Raiders are in this place that we like to call purgatory. Because now they're not the worst team in the laughing stock of the NFL. They're going to win seven to eight games a season. And they're now in a place in Las Vegas where they have to stay relevant. If you move on from Derek Carr, you better go and get an Aaron Rodgers. You better go get a Russell Wilson. But here's the problem. Two big problems, actually. They play in the AFC West, like I just said. Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers would be morons to decide to come to this division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. Okay, And second of all, you're in a situation where they don't know who their next coach is going to be. You really think Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are going to sign up for that? Despite the market? Despite being in Vegas, which I know their families would love to be? No! They're not signing up for that, so who's left? Derek Carr. That's what I'm saying. Like He is the perfect guy because, as you said, which made total sense, he wants to be a Raider. He wants to actually be there, and he's still good. Mm -hmm. He's a top 12 to 15 quarterback in this league easily, and he's only 30 years old. So if you keep him there, and I do expect them to give him a second extension, Mm -hmm. you're going to still be relevant enough. You're still going to get primetime games. You're still going to have really good matchups with the Chiefs and the Broncos and and the Chargers because you have a competent quarterback. 
whether they're ever going to be worth it or not, he's a guy that wants to be there. So I'm with you. I think it's going to be Derek Carr of these four guys that's actually going to be with his neck, the team coming into next season. I think there's a very good chance that all three of those other guys are going to be on their way out. I just That's where I see it, and that's how I see it going. So... We are, let's see here, we're a few minutes still from our guy Jason Dunn showing up today. Man, I actually, I wanted to transition to this. The show is so much different now because we don't have our guy Eddie dropping us questions. And I don't know if we have had any comments in the chat yet or not. I don't know if you've seen that or not yet, Trev. I see you, no. Okay, so we are currently looking at a rematch. A sec, the second game of this of the two-game schedule for, between the Chiefs and Raiders and... I just I just want to jump right into it, Trevor, and get your thoughts on the preview of this game because and it sucks too because we we do these shows on Saturdays and we have the Chiefs Raiders game coming up and before we do our next episode they're going to have another game on Thursday night against the Chargers and I I've almost been tempted to preview that one as well but I actually think that we should just leave that one alone and recap it that next Saturday we're going to have a fun show next week we're going to be recapping on two games but I want to focus on this Raiders game because this is the one that's of most importance right now. The Chiefs, the Chiefs have to focus on that. And again, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is the sandwich game between three straight divisional games for the Chiefs. And I think that's why they set the bye up before that so they can rest and re- and, and get themselves re, uh, refocused for these next three Appreciate games. That. Yeah, thanks a lot, assholes. Um, that Broncos game, to me, was the perfect game for the Chiefs going into this Raiders game. What do I mean by that? Do you remember what the game was before the Raiders game last time? The Giants game? Packers. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Chiefs were horrible offensively, right? Yeah. But what happened? This big play ignited the end of the game where Patrick Mahomes threw that ball to Tyreek Hill and it sealed it off. And we said, oh, shit. What's going to happen to the Raiders next week? And what did the Chiefs go and do? Found a rhythm. Beat the shit out of the Raiders offensively and defensively, quite frankly. They held the Raiders to two touchdowns. And one of those touchdowns was garbage time. I think what happened against the Broncos at the end of that game when Dan Sorensen, of all people, gets a pick-six touchdown, and you see the sidelines going absolutely nuts. Patrick Holmes is one of the first guys to go out there and congratulate him on that pick-six. I think <laughs> that, and as crazy as it sounds because it has nothing to do with the offense, I think that actually is going to give the offense some serious juice because what did that touchdown, what did that pick six actually do? It helped the Chiefs seal the victory, mm-hmm. but what did it do all week long? It made everybody sit here and go, well, the offense didn't do anything. They started the game off decent, but then they didn't do anything in that second half. They couldn't score the ball. They couldn't do anything. Patrick Mahomes looked awful. Oh, Dan Sorensen scored more, 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 just as many points as Patrick Mahomes did in that game because he got a rushing touchdown early on. So what's that do? That gives the Chiefs all this fuel against the defense they already beat horribly in Las Vegas. As if we need any other juice to. As if we needed any more play juice. On this defense again. The way I see this 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 game going, Trevor, it's very simple. I was on uh, I was on uh, Corey Jones, uh, the Artist Chief podcast last night with uh, Kyle Henning from uh, Kingdom Says Podcast, and Corey asked us this question about how I see this game going. Very simple for me. And it sucks for the Raiders because they're without Darren Waller, without Kenyon Drake. Josh Jacobs is banged up. They're relying on two white wide receivers, which is never a good formula unless you're in New England. You're, you're, you're talking about an opportunity for the Chiefs to even do more damage to the Raiders than they did in the first time. 
And I'm, I think it's very possible. And I actually think if I was, if I'm the Chiefs, and if I am anticipating a prediction for the Chiefs in this game, I think the Chiefs are going to try to get out of this one early. I think what Andy Reid's going to do, and actually this is when I would be on board with conservatism, because if Andy Reid goes in there and is aggressive and they score early and often, I could very well see the Chiefs just running the ball in the second half, trying to get out early because of the game that we're not going to preview, the Chargers game that happens four days later. And that, to me, of all the games, is the most important the one, one yeah. because the Chargers just blew out the Bengals. They have a very winnable game coming up against the Giants this week. Granted, they're without Kenny Allen, though. Sure, but they could still win the game because Mike Williams is expected to play. They have Austin Eckler, and they have Chris Harris playing Austin again. Yes, so this is a very winnable game, especially with the Giants having their backup Mike Glennon playing, which is already one of the worst offenses to begin with in the league. The, let's say the Chargers win this home game against the Giants. There's still one game behind the Chiefs. Chiefs beat the Raiders, still one game behind the Chiefs. This is a very pivotal matchup because then if they beat the Chiefs, the Chargers beat the Chiefs, they have 2-0 against the Chiefs. So let's say they tie the same record, the Chargers get the tiebreaker. So this is a this is a bigger game. So I think what the Chiefs need to do is focus on getting a nice, comfortable lead against a banged-up offense from the Raiders, and they're not going to be able to do what they need to do to catch up, play catch-up, get back into the game because the defense is playing so great for the Chiefs as the last five, six weeks. I think that you're going to see the Chiefs go out there. I think you're going to see a very, very efficient Chiefs offense early. I think they score three touchdowns in the first quarter, and I think they're going to put this game away pretty quickly. What are your thoughts, Trevor? Yeah, I mean, this this game could definitely go a lot of different ways because I think very it's pretty rare to see divisional foes blow each other out twice unless it's like the early Patriots days facing the Jets or the Dolphins or something when they were terrible. Um, but I mean, I, I I definitely can definitely see you know this game going that way with with Derek Carr throwing a couple early picks or something like that or for a fumble some of some sort. Um, or a defensive touchdown, and then Pat throws two. Um, yeah, I mean, this this game, should we should put it on the Raiders because we know we've done it before. We know this is one of the few teams this year that we've actually had a blow-up spot on, so there's no reason for us not to do that. Um, I actually think this game is going to be a little closer. Um, I don't – I don't. I want to say yes. I want to agree with what you're saying. I want to say we repeat what we did last time. Uh, but I think just with divisional games, you know, you play your other, you play your other multiple times, and the second time around, I think, uh, you know, granted, this is gonna be an arrowhead, right? So uh, <laughs> Derek Carr has had his struggles, his, his fair share, but he's also had some good games in arrowhead as well. Um, I, th- I think this game will be, you know, I think we'll, I think we'll pull this game away with a double-digit win, double-digit uh, uh, score win. But I think, I think Derek Carr has a fairly good game here. I think. Um, I think it's closer than that. I don't think we put them away early. I want to say that. I hope that happens. But I think this is going to be a fairly competitive game, which because most of the time they are. Uh, most of the time we don't just blow the Raiders out the past few years. When I mean, we've had some, because some games like that, and we've had some games where they put it on us. Um, but if like Darren Waller, Darren Waller being out is huge for them. Huge loss for them. Um, and big relief for our defense. Not to worry about that specimen running around out there. So. Um, I think this is. I think this. Unfortunately, I think this is going to be a closer game when it shouldn't be, but that's kind of been the story of the Chiefs' season this year. Yeah, you know, we've only had, we've only really blown one team out really for the most part, um, and that was the Raiders. So I mean, we could definitely do it again, but I just think second time around the Raiders are going to be a little have a little bit better of a game plan. They might play conservative, conservative and run the clock too, and try to get Josh Jacobs going. 
I mean, that's uh, our defense is going to have to allow Josh Jacobs to get going too. So if our defense does what it does, this could very easily be a blowout. This is the only reason because I actually was trying to convince myself of that same thing because I was talking to the guys last night on the podcast. I was I was like, whenever the Chiefs have a matchup coming in that next like, like that following Monday, I try putting myself in the mindset of someone who's not a Chiefs fan. So that way, I'm not I'm not basing my expectations or predictions on what I want to see happen. Um, but here's the thing, man, is there's there's some serious factors here. Everything you just addressed, the fact that they don't have Darren Waller, who's one of the best tight ends in football, and to be honest with you, just based on value of what he is to the Raiders, he might be the most valuable tight end in football yeah. outside of Travis Kelsey. Um, so not having him, I looked at this and I go, okay, well, what, what's Derek Carr's numbers been in December games at Arrowhead? Because as we forget, last year was October game at Arrowhead, and yeah. there was t- less than 20,000 Chiefs fans out there. So, of course, it looks good. It's warm weather, and you have really no pressure on you. You can hear everything at the, at the line of scrimmage. Your snap counts, everything are perfect. Derek Carr, in his, in his six games at Arrowhead in December, is 0-6. He completes 59% of his passes, has 192 yards per game, four touchdowns, seven, intersection, seven interceptions with a 64 quarterback rating. Yeah. And now I'm trying to visualize that getting better without his best weapons. And Kenyon Drake and in Darren Waller. Kenyon Drake's been really good at catching the ball for the Raiders this season. So... I have a hard time believing, especially when you consider the fact that the Chiefs defense is clicking on all cylinders, that he's going to come into a house of over 70,000 Chiefs fans, and you heard how electric they were in that Broncos game. If they know they got the Raiders the very next week on a noon kickoff, I can't imagine the house is going to be any less electric. He's not going to be able to click on all cylinders because he doesn't have all of his weapons. Mm. And here's the other factor in all this. Remember when we talked about the first matchup and how I said that I thought that Gus Bradley was really going to try to bring something to the equation and make the Chiefs offense really work? Work. Well, he didn't do that. Yeah, he's he he was a cover two scheme defensive coordinator, and he did not use cover team. He did single high. He did cover three shells, and the Chiefs obliterated it. And I talked to our guy Kyle Henning from uh, Kingdom Kingdom Says podcast last night, and he said it himself that Gus Bradley's not the type of head co- or, uh, defensive coordinator that changes his schemes. Once he goes with something, he usually sticks with, it, especially with the personnel considered. Mm-hmm. The, the the Raiders don't have the personnel that the Chargers did last season, so of course, moving from one team to the other, Gus Bradley's going to stick with what works that he sees fit. The, the the Raiders don't have the safety help like Derwin James. They don't have the linebackers like the Chargers do. They don't have the front seven outside of Max Crosby that consistently the Chargers have had over the last couple of years with Melvin Ingram and Joey Boza. So how is Gus Bradley going to come into this game and do anything more effective than he did the first time? I just I don't see how the Raiders come in here and play a better game. I don't see how this game's going to be close, especially when you consider the motivating factors for the Chiefs knowing the big game that's coming up on Thursday. They have to win this game yeah. because even more would be riding on that Chargers game. So uh, there's already enough pressure and expectation and, and, and so much riding on that Chargers game as currently constructed. If they drop this game to the Raiders... They're talking about potentially losing the division that we all just assume they're done with. They're just wrapped it up. Yeah. They have to win this Raiders game. I think they're going to come out very focused, very sharp offensively, because as we've already seen in the details of Patrick Mahomes going into Las Vegas and just beating them senselessly with a backup running back, I have to believe after a very subpar game from both Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill last week, they're going to come out there and make it a point to get those guys involved and have big games at, at Arrowhead on uh, this Sunday. I just I don't see a scenario where this game is all that close. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any inkling or thought um, or hesitation that the Chiefs are going to win. Um, I don't think that there's a, a scenario really here where the Raiders pull off the victory. I just don't. I think we're just outrightly the best, better team, the better situation, the better momentum, and just everything is working in our favor right now. Especially with our defense playing the way it is. Um, 
But I do think Gus Bradley, I don't think Gus Bradley is going to go down twice like that. I think he's a good enough defensive coordinator to, granted, he's limited with talent right now. They have a lot of bodies out, um, you know, voluntarily and involuntarily um, guys off of the roster right now. So I think that's definitely a hamstring. Uh, I think they're hamstrung by injuries and, and, and being short bodies. But I think that, I, I just think that they, they this game was just a divisional game. And typically, man, even when you think it's going to be a blowout, because we've caught a lot of blowouts this year and they have not panned out that way um but this is the only team that we've really had that kind of game against um so i think but i just i don't know i have a feeling that this is going to be one of those kind of classic chiefs raiders games where they keep it close and no one's really expecting there's gonna be some frustrations on our end as a chiefs fan like bro why did we do this why how do you something there's always going to be some kind of random thing that keeps this game close for some reason where it's frustrating but i do see the chiefs winning comfortably in the end of this game uh, I think we pull away late instead of early, like you're thinking. So I, for me, uh, I mean, I think I think I think the Raiders come out and have a decent performance because it's not going to be a cold game. This is not your typical December game in Kansas City. Uh, Derek, it's going to be 65 plus and sunny. I think it's a little bit of a wind, but I think this is a, a, a cool California type game for for Derek Carr. So I don't think this is going to be a, a weather factoring in type of game for him where it typically would in the middle of December. Um, so I, I don't think that's a factor at all there. But I think I think Derek Carr is himself a solid game. I think he throws you know a touchdown or two, uh, and keeps this game competitive. Um, and I think the defense plays well until the you know middle of the third quarter, and the Chiefs' offense just takes care of business and we close it out. You know the, the Raiders are the type of offense too that really likes to have a balanced attack, just like the Broncos. They do. like to run the ball. Early. They love they love to run the ball to set play that action. tempo for play action. And my my thing is I I just I don't think. That with the 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 thin depth they now have at running back, I just don't know that the Raiders are going to be able to set that up. I I 100% expect the Chiefs are going to defer and put Derek Carr on the field first and let the let the crowd really get into the mix. I I just don't see it to where 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 Derek throws the ball less than 40 times. I think that you're going to see a repeat performance, kind of like what you saw for Teddy Bridgewater, where he's just going to have to chuck the ball all over the field. And if we know anything, especially when the weather is around 50 or below that Derek Carr really struggles. And it's going to be around 50 to start the game off. And as you know, as the days go on, they usually get around about 45, 40 degrees. I think that's going to be another factor for Derek Carr as well. And so looking at looking at this matchup, I, I'm trying to, again, I'm trying to find a way to make it a case for Derek Carr and this Raiders team to make it into a compelling uh, uh, game to where we're sitting here in the fourth quarter going, okay, this 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 is going to be one of those where Patrick Mahomes is really going to have to put it together down the stretch. I don't see it. And, and and the biggest reason why is because of the scenario I built earlier when I talked about how I felt that the best scenario for the Chiefs to win another Super Bowl is for the defense to be doing what they're doing while the offense continues to try to figure it out. Because as we saw in 2018, something that this Chiefs team could not do is stop anybody. We saw the way that the 2018 team could outscore anybody, but the moment they needed their defense to make a single stop, they couldn't do it. And Derek Carr is the kind of quarterback that can expose weaknesses on defense, especially downfield. Yeah. Well, luckily for the Chiefs, they have one of the best secondaries in football over the last month plus. But see, we now have to consider the fact that Legereus Sneed may not be in this game. So what I want to ask you, Trevor, is with the reemergence of Rashad Fenton, it looks like he's going to give it a go in this game. Lucas Niang being back on the offensive side, we can talk about that in a second. But just when it comes to Derek Carr versus this defense, let's say Legereus Sneed is not in this game. That's going to suck for the Chiefs, but with Shavarius Ward having a career year and with Rashad Fenton being one of the best graded cornerbacks in the league... I think the Chiefs are going to be just fine, especially when you consider the fact that Darren Waller won't be out there to threaten them in the middle of the field. What? How do you think the Chiefs' defense is going to attack Derek Carr to keep him in this offense at bay? 
I mean, they're going to try to bring pressure. Um, Mixon, just, I mean, similar. I think we're going to have a similar game plan that we did last time we played them. Um, and, you know, now we're not going to have to worry about Darren Waller and, you know, bracketing him and keeping him at bay, which we did a good job of. Um, so I think we're going to, I think we're going to blitz a fair amount. Um, I, I think situationally, though, I don't think we need a, I think we can get there with a four, a four man front there. I think we can get there with four men um, and just play a lot of, you know, I think we'll play, It'd be a good mix of single high, and we'll play some two. Um, but I mean, I, we're not, I don't think we're worried about Derek Hart being us over the top because I don't think we're gonna bite on the the play action. And it's really just about for me. It's a similar game plan to what it was when we when we previewed this game last time. It was just stopping the run. Don't let Josh Jacobson uh, uh, get going. You know, because that guy can or Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobson, Josh Jacobs get going because that kid once he gets rolling, he 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 is a tough runner, right? He has that Marshawn Lynch ability where he can run guys over. He's very strong, especially in the red zone. Um, don't let him eat because uh, we let the um, um, running back for the uh, Javante Williams for, for the Broncos kind of eat against us. Yeah, um, and specifically in the passing game, and Josh Jacobs can do that, but that's not really his forte. But he can do that, and I see, I can see the Raiders trying to get the ball out quick. So we got to watch that underneath plays. Watch the Hunter Renfro's underneath, and you know, and the, and the little screen passes for him because he's very deadly. Yeah, he's a very deadly receiver, very consistent, especially in the red zone. The guy is deadly in the red zone. So if we get in the red zone, definitely got to keep it tight and press the line. Um, I, I don't see us having a problem getting pressure on Derek Carr, um, especially the way we're rolling right now. I think Chris Jones can definitely have a big game up the middle. Uh, this def- have, definitely has a big feel for a Chris Jones type of game. Um, but I think I think our corners are gonna be fine because everything starts up front. You know, as long as we're getting pressure up front, our corners and our, our secondary is gonna play well. Tyron's gonna without having to worry about Waller out there, I think Tyron's just gonna coach these guys and get everybody make sure everybody's in the right positions and just have a field day. Um and, and that's with me saying I think this game's gonna be competitive and I think Derek Carr could throw a couple touchdowns. Uh they could be early, could be late, but um I just I think overall this could be an absolute disaster spot for the Raiders too. They could absolutely, you know, we could score two defensive touchdowns and force, you know, a few turnovers. That can definitely happen too. There's a lot of different outcomes of this game, but t- typically, I kind of have a feeling that this is going to be like one of those traditional kind of Raiders Chiefs weeks. Granted, they are short-handed, short-staffed, um, undermanned, uh, but I just think this is going to be one of those games where, you know, I don't think we're going to go out there and be ultra aggressive. I don't. I think we know we can go out there and play a vanilla game and beat this Raiders team. And like you said, we have the biggest game of this divisional, these divisional games coming up the following week against the Chargers, who we're going to have to be all man, all hands on deck to beat them. Because respect to that offense. I mean, Herbert's been struggling slightly as of late, but they, they have weapons up the ass over there. So we do got to worry about them more than we do any of these other divisional teams. Um, and we got to get our revenge on them, too, because they're the only one that's beaten us. So we got to take care of business. I think we can go out there and beat these Raiders, you know, with 24 points and not have to go – blow them out in the first half and just rest on our laurels. I think it'll be a steady, consistently um, competitive game. Um, I don't think either quarterback really has a great game. I think it'll be a lot of running, a lot of like uh, leveraging for the running game and clock management uh, and play here. I don't think it's going to be a big scoring game in my mind. And and if you look at, I mean, when it comes to the Raiders as as a whole, what's the one consistent piece they've had over the last few years? It's been Derek Carr. And now even more so, that has become an emphasis because you lose John Gruden. You lose Henry Ruggs. You have a bunch of injuries to key players. You have an interim head coach. You have a faltering team, a a defense that continues to just get burned downfield uh, no matter who you're facing. 
I, I think this is going to be very similar to the Giants game a few weeks ago that the, that the Raiders had where you could clearly see that Derek was putting it all on his shoulder, shoulders and he lost them the game. I mean, uh, Hondo, uh, there's a reporter they have, his name's Hondo, he was talking uh, this week in, 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 in Kansas City Radio that when Derek Carr does that, a lot of times it becomes a more of a negative than a positive and how he ends up losing games for them. I think this is the type of game because of the pressure that's on Derek Carr, not just against the Chiefs and how much he's struggled against them and how they just pulverized him in his own house, but also the fact that he's trying to fight for another contract extension. I think he's going to try to put this on himself, and that's actually the key of him losing this game. I, I, I would be I would be shocked if Derek Carr doesn't have multiple turnovers in this game, whether they're strip sacks, interceptions, or both. I think that he's going to try to just win this game on his own, and it's going to blow up in his face because, again, when you consider the fact that I think that this Chiefs offense is going to score early in this game and really get the crowd pumping and really think, get things going, then you're going to see Derek Carr really tried to overexert himself as opposed to just staying within his game, staying within the game plan. I think that's how it's going to go. Now, on the Chiefs' offensive side of things, getting Lucas Niang back is going to be bigger than people realize. Not that Andrew Wiley wasn't doing good enough. He was playing serviceable. But the Chiefs have been without a right tackle for a month now. And they're finally getting the right tackle that's back. Huge. Yeah, so you're finally going to see this offensive line back to strength. Back to full strength. Now, Lucas Niang hasn't had a great season, but he's been without question their best right tackle this year. So having him back, I think, is also going to operate things better for the Chiefs' run game. I think that the Chiefs are going to run the ball pretty well in this yeah. game. And I think the running backs are going to be the key cog to the Chiefs winning this game. As I said, I think that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to get plenty of love in this game because it's his second game back from his injury of being gone three weeks. And then you have Darrell Williams, who's having his best career here. I think the Chiefs are going to make sure they keep him for the next couple Absolutely. of seasons. He's 27 years old. Yeah. I think he's right in the prime of his career. And I think he's been a damn good running back. I think he's been very effective in the pass game. I think if I'm Patrick Mahomes, if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm throwing the ball to my running backs 10 to 15 times in this game. I want to see Clyde get five to six targets. I want to get Daryl the same amount. And that's going to open up so much for Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. I think you're going to see those guys get plenty of targets as they always do. But if I'm going to choose another option, the secondary option to those two guys, it's got to be the running backs. I think that's how the Chiefs attack the, the Raiders defense because they don't have anybody in the secondary that can compete with that type of targets from the running backs in the flats. You get Daryl Williams out in the open again, I think he'd have a repeat performance of what he did against the Raiders in Week 10. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I was actually going to say that too as far as who I think offensively the Chiefs are going to lean on, and it's definitely got to be the running game, and I think it's a lot of, a lot of it's going to be through the air as well. I think there's gonna be, we're going to see a lot of screen passes because I think, we, you know, I think that's the traditional Andy Reid way, man. If you go back and watch, you know, the the Brian Westbrooks and these, you know, the, the heyday in, in, in Philadelphia, man, that's that's how their offense ran. You know, it was it was, you know, deep shots here and there, play action, and then screen passes to, to or wheel routes to to running backs, and it was very very effective. Granted, the league kind of caught on to it, so um, so yeah, you have to use it, you know, sparingly. But when it's used, or even screen passes to the tight ends too, I love those plays as yep. well, especially when you got athletic tight ends like we have in Noah Gray and Travis Kelsey. I think you know. Um, obviously, Jody Fortson's missed. We need that guy back next year. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, I think this is definitely a game where we don't have to have some, like, massive big plays. I think we can chip away this game and run the ball and screen and dink and dunk our way. I think Patrick Mahomes can dink and dunk his way to a 400-passing-yard game. I think this is one of those a lot of yak I think could, could definitely take place because that secondary um, just does not have the chops to, to keep up with the speed. And we saw that last time we played these guys. 
Tyreek Hill was eating eating against them. Travis Kelsey always eats against the Raiders. Typically, always eats against the Broncos too. But that's a better defense over there this year than in, in, in you know Donkeyville than 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 of late. But um, I, I I mean I just think the running backs are definitely the guys to go to to select here as far as who the MVP of the offense is going to be. Um, especially if Niang plays. We don't even necessarily need Niang to play this game. I think we can go out there and have a just fine offensive performance with with or without him. But it is good to get him out there, get him healthy. Um, you know, at least rotate him in to get him some some of them going again, some momentum going again. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Daryl and, and Clyde should definitely uh, should definitely eat in, in this game for sure. Um, either I think both of them can score. Um, but yeah, I'm right there with you, Lock and Stedman. A couple more questions about this, and we're gonna move on. Um, what do you think is the more is more likely scenario? Because everyone's still believing that Josh Gordon is eventually gonna break out. I've told you from day one that. I had no expectations whatsoever. I don't think he's a good football player anymore. I think he had his opportunities, and he squandered them. I know he's had addiction issues, so I'm not trying to sit here and be dissensitive to, insensitive to that, but it's just the facts of the NFL. This league moves on with, that, with or without you, and I think it did move on from Josh Gordon. I think that's pretty evident with Josh Gordon. The Chiefs clearly don't believe that he has been good enough or has picked up the offense enough to get him involved, as they and they easily could. They can get him on jet sweeps. They can get him on short screen passes if they really wanted to, and they just simply have not done that. What do you think is more likely? That Josh Gordon, who has two t- two catches this entire season, gets two or more receptions in this game, or Noah Gray gets another touchdown? Because as we know, the only touchdown that Noah Gray has caught this season is against who? Raiders. The Raiders. What do yeah. you think is more likely? I think the Noah Gray touchdown. Um, I just don't think that Josh Gordon just has him. He's been on the field quite a bit. Yeah. Um, he's he's been rotating in with you know with Demarcus Robinson and Nicole Hardman and Pringle. They've been a road. He's been on the field more than them though. Um, which is strange. He's just not getting. He's just not getting a lot of looks. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what it is. He doesn't look bad when he's out there. He, you know, he, he gets up the line fairly well. He's got a good first step. He's a he's a demanding presence, and he's a big guy. He still looks great. Um, he's just not getting a lot of targets. I, I really don't understand why we haven't used him in the red zone like a tight end kind of. I was really kind of hoping to see that. Get him some. You know, just throw up a jump ball. Josh Gordon's gonna go get it. Yeah. He's towering. He's a he's basically a tight end. Um, with this frame. So I really don't know. I think he's being underutilized in my personal opinion. I don't think it's necessarily a question on whether he's still athletically gifted enough to play in this league at a decent level because I think there's a lot of other receivers out there that he's still better than. Um, I don't think him and Odell Beckham are that much far apart from each other as far as like what they can do in the NFL still. I still think Josh Gordon's still got a lot left in the tank. It's just he really hasn't been getting the attention. Um, and this this offense really funnels through Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. I mean, every once in a while you'll get a few targets to Pringle, couple targets to McColl, but outside of that, this offense is pretty, you know, pretty concentrated on those two guys and then the running backs. Um, but I think I think if it's the two situations were, and I was a betting man and I was going to put money on it, I would say Noah Gray because Noah Gray has been getting on the field more, and I like what I've seen from him. I like it. he he's coming on he's come on slow a little bit, obviously because we had Jody Fortson playing that that secondary tight end role, which was great and it was working and he was ready to go. Unfortunately, we lost him. We could definitely use that in the offense right now, but I think he's coming along fine. And I like the fact that last time we, we got him that touchdown, and we that we made it a thing on that drive too to throw to him. A, you know, I think we threw to him three times on that drive uh, to get him really involved and get his confidence up. So I think this could definitely be, you know, if we get in the red zone, why not? You know, maybe maybe do one of those uh, uh, trickery plays where you know a direct snap to Noah Gray, like we've done with Tra- Travis Kelsey numerous times, um, something like that. And I, I'm a big fan of Noah Gray. I think he's going to be a good tight end for this team. 
moving forward. So I, I would I would probably put my money on Noah Gray catching another touchdown here against the Raiders. All right, when it comes to key players, um, I have two. Last week I went with two defenders, and I actually think that panned out because the defense clearly won the Chiefs the game. I am going to mix it up this week. I think there's going to be an offensive and a defensive player. They're going to be the key players of this game for me. Uh, when it comes to the defensive player, I was I was really battling around and actually walking into today before we got the Legereus Sneed news. I was going to say Legereus Sneed because he led the team in tackles um, against the Raiders in Week Ten. Yeah, yeah he was, well, he was ridiculous. I, I'm not anticipating that that Sneed's going to be in this game. I'm yeah. not anticipating. I think that the Chiefs are going to tell him, "Hey, go take care of your family issues and be back for the Chargers game." I think that's what's going to happen. So if that is what intends up happening, I'm going to go with Chris Jones. I think that Chris Jones is showing everybody that he is one of the five best players in the NFL at his position. I think he's showing he's an all-pro, and he's healthy. And when Chris Jones is healthy, the Chiefs benefit off him greatly. Yeah. And if you saw in that game against the Raiders that last time, man, he was blocking passes. In fact, I think he had multiple passes defended at the line of scrimmage. He had a lot of pressure on Derek Carr. Did not record a sack. In fact, Chris Jones didn't even record a tackle. But he was all over Derek Carr in that game, just knocking his knocking him on his ass, uh, getting pressure, like I said, deflecting passes. In fact, he deflected one of the passes that I believe Derek Carr ended up throwing an interception on. So... I, I just I have a hard time believing that that Chris Jones isn't going to implant himself into this game into the game plan. I think that he's going to make uh, uh, Derek Carr's day a, a very tough day for him at the office, especially because Chris Jones of all people on this team feeds off the crowd, and you see him always getting the crowd involved. I think it's going to be one of those Chris Jones days on the defensive side, especially with Melvin Ingram and Frank Clark making his life a lot easier. And Jaron Reed has really come on as of late. Derek Nottie played well against the the, the, uh, the against the Raiders a few weeks ago, so I, I think it's going to be Chris Jones' day to do something. Um, and then on the offensive side, I, I, I'm going to stay consistent with what I said. I'm not going to pick a player in particular. I'm going to pick the Chiefs running backs by committee. I think it's going to be Clyde and Darrell that are really going to have themselves a day. I think that they're going to combine for about 175 total yards, and I think they're going to collect a couple of touchdowns each. Not each, but I'm saying together. I think they're both going to have about right under 200 yards total and about two touchdowns. I think that you're going to see Darrell be very effective in the flat. Clyde's going to get a lot of opportunities to run between the tackles and catch some balls, but I I don't understand why the Chiefs use Clyde as a backup running back when they drafted him in the first round. I'll never understand that. Hopefully today or this week will be one of those weeks where they utilize him like a first-round running back. I don't know, like the Colts do with Jonathan Taylor. I don't know, like the Raiders do with Josh Jacobs. I, I don't know. You know, call me crazy, but maybe you should use a running back like, you know, you drafted him. Yeah. Um, so I think that the Chiefs are going to do that. I think Daryl Williams is going to get plenty of looks, and I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to utilize them. I think that the Chiefs are going to play a very effective game offensively, and I think they're going to score plenty of points in this game to win this game convincingly. Those are my key players of the game. Trevor, who are yours? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's tough to argue against Chris Jones. It's definitely a feel for a Chris Jones game as I've mentioned a few minutes before I uh, I do think though if I'm not going to go with Chris Jones which I, I would like to pick that as well but if I'm going to do something different here I'm going to say Tyron Matthew um, I think this is one of those games where he can have a pick or two um, because of the pressure up front I think with the crowd behind him Tyron you know feasting off that energy in the stadium I think this is a game where Tyron can bait Derek Carr into a couple bad throws uh, he just he completely baits him into throwing the ball in the air and floating one up, and he goes and he gets it because Tyron. That's one of the greatest attributes he has throughout his career. Even call it, and even his collegiate years, he's great at playing the quarterback's eyes and, and fooling the quarterback to throw one way, and then completely darting to where he knows the ball is going to go and going and ball hawking the shit out of it. Yeah. So I think this is a game where definitely he can get off and maybe get a pick six and really get his juices going here heading into this Chargers game. I think we need that. Quite frankly, I think Chris Jones is already getting there. I think Chris Jones is balling right now. 
We need Tyron. And he's he dropped that one pick he should have had a couple weeks ago, man. Uh, so um, he's been playing good. I just want to see him get a couple big plays for him. And I think this is definitely a situation where him and Chris Jones both can eat uh, and, and just completely just take over this game, quite frankly. Uh, on the offensive side, I do love the running backs. Obviously, I think we both are in, uh, um, in one accord on that. I think we both think that, that this is going to be the focal point. But if it's not going to be the running backs, it's going to be Tyreek Hill. I think Tyreek Hill could definitely um, – he's going to need that too. I think it's. Gonna, I think they're going to make it a thing to get the ball to Tyreek and Travis because of the drops. Um, I think this is a game, a get-right game for them just to kind of just, you know, get some – almost like a scrimmage. Yeah. You know, just get these guys' hands going, um, reestablishing that confidence that Pat has in these guys because we don't want to have that lingering – we don't want to go away from them because they've been dropping, and that's the last thing you want to do is a similar, you know, if a, if a running back fumbles. Typically, you want to just get the ball right back in their chest and get them back out there and get that confidence back up. So I think this can be a 10-target, 11-target, 12-target game for Tyreek Hill, uh, and they just really, really just give him the ball, just funnel the ball to him. Uh, short game, deep balls, however you want to get it to him. I think this is just because that secondary stands no chance against Tyreek Hill. We saw last time we played him, he was getting funnel targets. So I just think this is one of those games where – if the running backs aren't going to absolutely take this game over offensively, I think Tyreek Hill is just going to absolutely feast uh, and get you know maybe eight catches. I'm going to say eight to nine catches in this game. Fair enough. I like it. That is, uh, Those are our key players to the game. Trevor, I'm assuming that you are going to say that the Chiefs are going to win this game. I know you said that you feel confident in that. Uh, you don't have to give the score prediction, but I mean, if, if the, I think the line right now is sitting at nine and a half, if I'm not mistaken, kind of like it was for the Broncos last yeah. week. I hammered the over on that one. Shit, I said we'll win by more than that. Okay, so you're thinking a double digit victory yeah, then? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I actually I said that the Chiefs are going to beat the Broncos by 17 last week. Should have. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I I, I do think the Chiefs are going to win this game by about 20 points. And, and the reason again, it, it's I know divisional foes. They always know you better and all this other stuff. But I felt like if the Raiders had an opportunity, if, if they were going to have a game where they kept it. Close Close with the Chiefs, or if it was going to be a nail biter, it would have been in Las Vegas. Yeah, they just don't have the talent. You finally there. had, yeah, you finally had a a packed house. Sixty <laughs> percent Chiefs fans, by the way, but yeah. if you had a packed house in Las Vegas on national television with a healthy roster, a fairly healthy roster, and you get blown out by twenty-seven points, like I, I just I feel like if you had a chance, a real chance of, of, of beating the Chiefs or at least keeping it close, it'd have been that game. <coughs> Excuse me, in Arrowhead, noon kickoff. Banged up team. You're you're facing a Chiefs team that is hotter than that was four weeks ago when you faced them the last time. I, I just think I, maybe and maybe the Chiefs don't score forty in this one, but I, I really think the Chiefs are going to get in the thirties and flirt with thirties in this one. And I don't see the I don't see the Raiders scoring twenty well, points I, in this we'll game say too. I think we need to factor in the possibility. I think there's a fairly good possibility that we score a defensive touchdown here. Yeah. So I mean, that's not. I don't think all of our points might come from just the offense alone. Right. I think there could be a pick six or a fumble recovered into the end zone, and I think that something like that could definitely happen because I think the 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 Raiders are kind of backpedaling right now, man. And they're, I think they're a, um, an accident-prone, uh, mistake-prone team right now, where they're 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 really going to be forcing it to try to beat the to start trying to beat the Chiefs. And this is a you know, and then coming into Arrowhead with the, the crowd being loud, with Derek Carr not being able to hear not being able to hear anything in the line of scrimmage. There's just a lot of mistakes can be made from the Raiders side of things. And I think there could definitely be a defensive score. Yeah, so I I, I think Trevor and I both have the. The Chiefs winning this game very convincingly, moving themselves on to the Chargers game, and not to not to preview that one, guys. But I, I just think that when you look at the way the Chiefs are playing football right now and how inconsistent the Chargers have been, I, I feel very confident about that one as well. We're obviously going to give you guys our predictions. In fact, I might even go as far as to give a, get a video out on Wednesday. Trevor has a strap schedule, but I, I might give you 
you guys a little solo action where I give you guys my picks, my takeaways of what I think is going to happen with that Chiefs game on Wednesday, the day before that game as well. I'll probably just go live or do something like that with you guys and give you guys my thoughts. But as, as it currently stands, the Chiefs and Raiders are going in opposite directions, and I think the Chiefs are really going to establish themselves and really stake that flag in the ground and say that the AFC West is still there for a, a sixth consecutive season, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Before we get out of here, and again, we're, we're hoping that we, we hear from our guy Jason Dunn. If not, we can uh, always reschedule for another time. We always appreciate whenever he comes on and, and drops some knowledge with us, but uh, more importantly, we want to give you guys our content and our takeaways as to what we think is going to happen this week, each and every week when it comes to Chiefs football, as long as the season is going. Uh, we have one more order of business to get to as it currently stands. Trevor, what is it called? Hold this L. What we do each and every week is we finish off each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports, whether they're friendly or not so friendly L's in the world of sports. We promise you who is ever holding those L's deserve those L's. Trevor Twidwell, who's holding the L for you this week? Listen, I'm going to get it out of the way. I'm going to do it just a quick L. Nothing special because I have something I want to talk about that's more important. But um, I'm just going to give the L. I mean, I know the Vikings just won. <laughs> But the Vikings are also the first team to give the worst team in the NFL, the Detroit Lions. Oh, maybe not the worst team in the NFL, but they were the, the only winless team in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, a walk-off Jared Goff touchdown was allowed. A walk-off. Yeah, it was a walk-off. <laughs> a walk-off. Yeah. Granted, it was beautiful in a way because of what happened, what was going on in that city in Detroit with all the things that were going on with the school shooting and all that. Um, you know, that was, a, that was a big win for them, and it was important, and it was good to see that. But at the same time, Vikings, they're just – it's its strange. They're a very underachieving team. That is a good roster, still have a good uh, defense as far as on paper, um, and obviously a loaded offense, very good offense. And they lost to the Detroit Lions with a walk-off Jared Goff touchdown. That was – I couldn't believe that when I saw that. So, for that, Minnesota Vikings, do me a favor and – Hold this L. L. I do want to – I wanted to really dedicate this time. I always wanted to get that little L out of the way. Um Demarius Thomas uh, was during the Peyton Manning era, especially man. He Peyton Manning unlocked that guy. We saw some record-breaking offensive years between those two and, and Emmanuel Sanders, and that offense was incredible. Uh, it was not fun as a Chiefs fan to endure that, but I had nothing but undying respect for that entire offense. Was incredible to watch. I mean, I'm a diehard Peyton Manning fan. I love the guy to death. One of my all-time favorite players in the NFL. Um, and Demarius Thomas was a massive part of that offensive, uh, the offensive juggernaut. That was the Denver Broncos at that time and the Super Bowl um, champions. I know most of you, if not everybody, already at this point knows that he has passed um, at the age of 33. Lance's age, a year older than me. Um, it was going to be 34 on Christmas. Um, so, I mean, I just want to dedicate that. I just want to – I know this – our show is minuscule compared to the other stages and voices that have been spoken already on this matter. I just wanted to – uh, simply give out my energy and my oxygen into the atmosphere, into the world. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't do that and take advantage of this moment to say that, you know, for his family, his mother, his father, his siblings, friends and family, anybody who was ever close to this guy. I mean, he was always a, uh, a warm smile guy. When he retired, he did the whole, he threw up the do sign and gave everybody the smile that we all recognize and love. Uh, it was just definitely devastating as someone that, that young. I still don't know all the details on what happened. He was found in his home. Uh, supposedly there was a medical issue. I'm not really sure all the specifics, but all I know is we lost a, um, a good human being, a great NFL player, uh, went out on his own merit, uh, very, very much a successful individual in, in the sport that he loved. Um, 
and I'm, I'm assuming he was very successful in life, obviously, as well. And he was a loved um, brother, um, son, uncle, whatever he was to anybody. Uh, it's, just, it's just terrible to see someone go, you know, with so much life left to live post his NFL career already being so successful and all the things he could have done. Um, and I know the, the NFL family is mourning the, the passing of him as well. So I just want to say my condolences. I just want to give my time, my airtime to his family and my condolences to his family and friends and whatever they're going through, whatever they're feeling right now. I couldn't even imagine uh, losing my, you know, someone that, that close to me, a family, my blood, mom and my brothers. That would just be, I couldn't think of much of a worse thing to experience and go through and try to cope after that happens and takes place. So I just want to say that, you know, he will be missed. My condolences to his friends and his family. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, um, I was talking about it yesterday on Twitter and Facebook as well. Uh, that being being an avid Chiefs fan, you obviously tend to <laughs> to despise you know Chargers players, Broncos players, Raiders players. Yeah. It's just it's just a, it's just it's in it's in the 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 the, the, the guy you know the the how to you know book how to guide of how to be a Chiefs fan. You know yeah. any fan of a rivalry, it's you tribalism. know, it, yeah. So yeah, that's how it goes. But Growing up and being, like Trevor said, a humongous Peyton fan, when he went to the Broncos, it really sucked because Peyton was still just so damn good and he was so fun to watch and so lovable, but he was playing for the team that just was kicking your ass every single opportunity they got. And before this streak that the Chiefs are on now, 12 games of against the Broncos, which actually did start the final year of Peyton's career, um, yeah, the Broncos were, were the Chiefs' daddy for a little bit of time with uh, Peyton Manning. And Demarius Thomas was one of those guys that just absolutely pissed you off because he was so damn good, man. He was so big and physical and great hands, great route runner. He was just perfect for what Peyton Manning wanted out of a receiver at that time. And 777 catches, 10,552 yards and 69 touchdowns, and only 33 years old when he, yeah. re- he retired before he turned 33. To do that in that short window of time because he played with Tim Tebow which by the way had one of the the the, the quickest uh, overtime victory in the yeah. history of the NFL he did that in the playoffs against the Steelers that 80 some odd yard touchdown to, to Marius Thomas to be that awesome and and and, and continue to excel the way he did in, 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 the, in the later stages of his career battling through injuries but more so battling the things he battled in his personal life even being a young child his mom went to prison he had, his grandparents had issues he had people die in his life early on like most times when that happens when situations like that happen to a young person that young person falls apart and they're in the corrections facilities they're they're in prison themselves they're selling drugs they're just they're basically just just at the lowest portions of their life and Demarius rose above all that and not only did he rise above it but that dude every single person I've seen that knew him talked about his smile like you said sure about that 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 in, in, infectious smile that he just made everybody feel better about themselves like that that's the kind of legacy like I've always desired as a person to have that like when I'm gone like I really want people to look back and go man Lance was just like that guy that like that brought that infectious like joy you want to be remembered yeah, like I want to be that guy because I'm not perfect at a lot of things in life. I'm, in fact, I'm not perfect at anything in life. But what I want to do is be like good to people. And Demarius was one of those guys like Von Miller. Like I almost bawled my eyes out when I saw that this morning of him. His first child, Von's laying in the hospital bed and he's FaceTiming Demarius. Yeah. Demarius. Like that, that that's the kind of person I want to be is that people reflect on that is, is that guy. So I aspire to be like Demarius Thomas and him being the same age as me and seeing him pass away. And, and they did come out with the information. He did die of a seizure in the shower. 
Um, it was due to the medication complications he's been having because he had that car accident back yeah. in 2019, and he had a seizure. And he he's he was very vocal about not being alone for those seizures. He didn't want to be alone because those seizures would be abrupt and it would just randomly come on. And he was in the shower. He was alone in his Georgia home, and he died in the shower due to that seizure. So it's it's a very heartbreaking thing because this man should have had another 60 years of life. Yeah. You know, it really sucks to see that this man died so quickly and so early when he had so much more to give like that's the part that upsets me the most not losing a former great football player so much yeah. because that career's over but his yeah, life is just getting going yeah exactly and it just always brings back memories of Kobe and these other guys that died so damn young to situations they shouldn't have it's so heartbreaking I don't care if you're a Chargers Chiefs or or a Raiders fan man you gotta love and appreciate the man that he was he was a great person a great person I never heard a single negative thing and I just I didn't want to steal your thunder but no, I no, wanted no, to I, piggyback I off that you would we would discuss it because yeah, it was great yeah and i wanted to i actually wanted to leave that to the end of the year the end of the show so i'm glad you brought that up um but but to to bring back the show a little bit man just to kind of rear things back in i actually have a couple l's in the world of sports because i know that's what you guys wait for all episode long so before the show started i always like to watch good morning football on the weekends because they always have cool little tidbits and mike garofolo and tom pelissero and those guys always have breaking news about things that are going on before we get our show prep because i want to make sure that we're up to date to everything before we get on the show and something that tom pelissero tom, tom pelissero said before the show that i immediately perked up on was the latest breaking news in regards to urban meyer and the jacksonville jaguars now you guys know how vocal i've been about this hiring from the beginning when i heard that they were even thinking about hiring Urban Meyer, I was laughing at it because I know how much of an asshole Urban Meyer is, how much of a failure he's been. Even though he's had success, he's always bailed early. I thought this was a the worst hire the Jags could have made, and they went with it. And now this is the current – this was at 10.40 a.m. this morning from Tom Pelissero. <coughs> I'm sorry. I'm just going to go ahead and quote it now. Months of tension surrounding Jaguars coach Urban Meyer has boiled over with multiple run-ins with players and other coaches in recent weeks. Sources say renewing questions in league circles about whether Meyer's stay in Jacksonville can end after just one tumultuous season. At this point, there are zero, there are no signs that Jaguars owner Shad Khan is seriously considering change. One of the NFL's most patient and supportive owners, Khan dreamed for years of Meyer, a three-time college national champion at Florida and Ohio State, coaching his team and overhauling the culture of a franchise accustomed to losing before finally this situation. But sources say Meyer's repeated public comments, shifting blame to players and coaches amid the team's 2-10 season, have exasperated frustration in the building with hard charging and sometimes condescending approach, a style that many observers believe wouldn't work in the NFL before the Jaguars even hired him. Entering Sunday's visit to Tennessee, the Jaguars lost four, four in a row and five of the last six before the week seven bye, and they go down the list of what they've averaged and all this stuff. Here's the breakdown. In the past two weeks alone, sources say, Receiver Marvin Jones, one of the locker room's most respected and mild-mannered veterans, became so angry with Meyer's public and uh, private criticism of the receiver group that he left the facility until other staff members convinced him to come back and had a heated argument with Meyer during practice. During a staff meeting, Meyer delivered a biting message that he's a winner and his assistant coaches are losers, according to several informed of the contents of the meeting, challenging each coach individually to explain when they've where they when they've ever won and forcing them to defend their resumes. 
Contract to, contrary to his public statements that it was benching after an opening drive fumble in last week's 37-7 road loss to the Rams, then had running backs coach Bernie Parmalee stop Robinson from re-entering the game, insisting Carlos Hyde, who played for Meyer at Ohio State, stay in. Only after Trevor Lawrence questioned Meyer on the sideline about Robinson's absence was Robinson allowed to return in this late in the second quarter. Lawrence said, quote, bottom line is James is one of our best players and he's got to be in the field and we addressed it and I feel like we're in a good spot and the whole team were good, end quote. Several Jaguars players vented with their frustrations to Rams players after that game, sources say, reiterating a common complaint that Meyer, who had no prior NFL experience, doesn't treat them like adults. And the staff meeting follows a pattern of tense interactions between Meyer and his assistants dating back to the offseason. After opening the preseason with consecutive losses, for instance, sources say Meyer informed assistants that he was sick of being embarrassed and if the team didn't start winning immediately, some of them wouldn't be around for a second year and it continues and it continues and it continues but you know what shouldn't continue urban meyer being a head coach in the nfl i've been telling you guys this and i've been telling you guys this and this is exactly what i saw coming urban meyer is an asshole he is a jackass he is not a guy that is worthy of the position he's been given shod khan seems to be an awesome dude everything i've heard about shod khan he's an awesome guy he's very charitable he works with aew he's out he's elevated that league in wrestling he's done a lot of great things but one thing he has to take back is this mistake that he made this dumpster fire that he has made with urban meyer urban meyer is treating grown men professional athletes like a children is making his own by the way his assistant coaches that he handpicked He's making them defend their own resumes, not to mention the shit he put out there at that bar when he got exposed with fooling around with that young chick at that bar. That's not even stuff I even try to focus on, but with all this shit going on, that has to be at the focal point as well. That has to be in focus. Urban Meyer has done everything in his power to get himself fired. Shad Khan needs to fire him today. This needs to be over. This team is terrible. Urban Meyer does not have the respect of his locker room. They are doing everything in their power to lose games at this point where Trevor Lawrence, a rookie quarterback, has to tell his coach to play a player. That's when you know it's over. It's over. I said before, remember, Trevor, I said this, that Urban Meyer has more to prove at the pro level than Trevor Lawrence does. And Trevor Lawrence is a rookie quarterback. So... I don't know what they're waiting on. There is no reason in the world for Urban Meyer to take the sidelines this Sunday. Shad Khan needs to go down there and fire him today. This is a travesty. It's horrible. And I got something for Urban Meyer. And it's hold this L, motherfucker. Yeah, it's and now, embarrassing, man. Now that our guy uh, Eddie Ortiz isn't here, I like to have this little tradition where you know I hand out an L for Eddie because it's, you know it's, it's it's you know I feel like it's it's the right thing to do. So I decided to go down and uh, check out where Eddie was at last night, and you know I didn't mention <laughs> you know where Eddie was this week. I didn't say it, but I wanted to save it for the very end of the show, and I'm really glad I did. And I hope Eddie's watching because this is uh, something I was very much looking forward to doing. So Eddie uh, it, it has ties out in OKC, and he's a Thunder fan. So Eddie decided to uh, go out there with some friends to go watch the Thunder take on the Lakers, who, by the way, the Thunder, who have not been good this year, have actually had some success against the Lakers. Multiple wins going into last night. And the the Lakers visited the uh, Thunder, obviously, and Eddie was there. He was sending Trevor and I pictures of LeBron on the court warming up, ready to go. And, you know, I noticed that there was this this silence for like an hour or two from Eddie. We didn't get anything from him. And I, I really wondered why. And I went and go. I went ahead and looked at the box score, and, and what do you know? The Lakers were beating the shit out of the Thunder, 
And LeBron was having himself quite the night. Went 13 of 20 from the field with 33 points and only 34 minutes. Uh, also added six assists and five rebounds and three steals. Two blocks also, by the way. And without Anthony Davis, the Lakers beat the Thunder by 21 points. Yeah. So I, I just I, I wanted to say, Eddie, I hope you're watching, bud. I'm really, really, really glad that you got to go and see that witness firsthand. Because as I told you last week when you told me that you were heading out to OKC to watch LeBron pulverize your Thunder, I told you this was going to happen. That LeBron was saving because they were 0-2 against the Thunder before that game last night. They were saving that performance for you. That that was for you, Eddie. I, I just want you to know LeBron knew that you were at the game just as much as you knew LeBron was there. He was saving that one for you. So I'm really, really glad, Eddie, that you got to see that. And I'm also glad that I'm going to give you an L today for that very reason. So Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, our most beloved character on the show, do me a solid, brother, and hold this L. We appreciate you, man. We appreciate you. Love you so much. And we Love miss you. you. Can't wait you. to have you back on the show next week, bud. Yeah, that was a fun show. Absolutely. Fun, fun show, man. We appreciate everybody that was a part of this, man. <laughs> We, I mean, I feel like it flow, flies by every time it's just you and I on here, man, because it just it seems like we're just getting our opinions firing back and forth yeah. the whole time, but it was fun nevertheless. We are expecting greatness from this Chiefs team moving forward, man. I think this is just going to be another chapter of it against this Raiders team, and I hope you guys are ready for it, man, because I know I am. It's going to be a fun Sunday for sure. But in the meantime, while we wait for this great game, I hope that you guys enjoyed this show. I hope that you guys enjoy each and every show because we enjoy giving them to you guys, and we appreciate all the interactions that we get from you guys, and we look forward to it each and every week. So for that, for Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, who's not here, but is holding an L for me, for the great LeBron James who went out there and devastated his thunder in OKC last night, for Trevor Twidwell and all of his contributions here, for the great Clay Windler that puts this bad boy together for us, I am Lance Twidwell, the Spoken Podcast. Episode 146 is done, finished, finito. And until 147 is here, when we're talking about two hopeful Chiefs victories against two divisional foes and the Raiders and Chargers, we out of this bitch. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the Spoke. I might actually stick, I might actually stick around for a little bit.